everybody. Welcome back to your favorite board game podcast, Play Games Lose Friends, perhaps the greatest board game podcast in the world. I am Ryan back with Ken. It is episode 28, <laughs> I believe, right? Am I right? Is it eight or nine? I think it's eight. I think I you, I think you're correct. We're on 28. Yeah. This is a lot. Season two, part, episode. or episode two. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when, this, I, no, it's when I three. publish these there's always an option to like set a season and I'm like, do I really want to do that? Like, this isn't like a, a true crime podcast, at least not yet. Maybe one, like one of us, but it could be the other very quickly. Can- <laughs> yeah. We could kill the other and steal their stuff, but not, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So we are back for uh, the second half of our top 50 games of all time, an annual tradition that we, uh, this is the inaugural year, inaugural year. I can't talk. And we're going to cover 25 through one. So we will find out what everybody's top game is as well as all the goodies along the way. Uh, I thought the, the first episode was kind of fun. Like I know we talked about how we ranked and stuff, but I think there were some surprises on both lists. Yeah. Uh, and I realized how bad you are at picking favorite games. Um, because, uh, we had some crossovers that I think were good. Well, and now I know we have. I, I know we have at least three. Um, I think we have at least three more crossovers. Now these three crossovers are in my bottom half, but they're in your top half. So that just shows that how bad you are at this, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> or are you bad? And I am great because well, that well, is we'll far more likely. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's not belabor the point get too to far. It, right? So we're gonna we're gonna keep the format we kept last time. We're just gonna do one minute per game to try to keep it concise as, as best we can. I know we're gonna talk about. We're gonna try to do one minute per game more towards the favorites. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but before we get do started, let's uh, let's do some shout outs and, and some uh, plugs, and then discuss our beverage of choice because I saved my special one for this evening. So what do we got? And I also have a new special one uh, for this Ooh. evening as well. I didn't break out the champagne like I said I would. I thought that'd be kind of yeah. I'm, it's, I'm not. It's doing early. That. It's early in the evening. <laughs> on a Thursday. For night. <laughs> yeah, on a random Thursday. So, all right. Uh, so we're going to switch the order of our plugs uh, and start out with the DGen uh, sports cards because there has not been an, an episode of Drunken Disorder since the last two that we put out. So we're going to send them to, to slot number two, and we're going to bring up DGN Sports Cards to our first plug. Again, uh, that's dgnsportscards.com for all your favorite sports, trading cards, memorabilia. They've got blind jersey boxes. they got blind helmet boxes for football. They've got um, chase pops for some of your uh, sports stars. Um, they've got Pokemon cards, the best prices on Pokemon cards you'll ever find. And there's a new location, I think, what, a month away, maybe? Something like that. So they're going to be expanding. There'll be all new products. There'll be blaster boxes of both, uh, of all different types of sports. There'll be blaster boxes for Pokemon. And what these are, are they're a unique custom uh, product that is only going to be available uh, at the G-Gen Sports Cards uh, store and site, I believe. And these are going to be uh, almost blind uh, curated boxes that you don't know what you're going to get, but you're going to be guaranteed autos. You're going to be guaranteed ultra rares, 
numbered cards. I mean, these products are going to be amazing. So if you're into that kind of thing, that's dgensportscards.com. And then I guess we'll plug Drunk and Disordered. Maybe they'll get a podcast. I don't know. Do you want to take that one? (laughs) No, go ahead. No, I think you're better at it. No, that's... That's that's also our buddies, Drunk and Disordered. Uh, it's a Kings of War podcast. They break down the game. They break down the tournament scene. They break down the rules. They break down models, um, the different units. Um, we got some more swag in the team, in our group. So they'll probably be talking about that. So hopefully there's a new episode coming uh, because there was another tournament win since we were last since we last talked, and uh, the Nerd Hammer crew took down another tournament. So. Uh, one day, we've got right? a, what's another one day event, another one day GT. Uh, they took down what first, third, and some other place maybe, and yeah. um, it seems like we're going to have quite the force going to Masters this year, uh, in, for twenty twenty three. So we could have our first Nerd Hammer Masters victory in twenty twenty three. So look forward to that. Keep uh, hopefully they'll keep. Uh, churning out content over at the Drunken Disordered podcast. It smells like champions in here. That's all I. That's all I can say. <laughs> it smells of of it smells like beef jerky and and acrylic paints <laughs> and and three D printing materials, resin and whatnot. Locker room and regret. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, thank you for uh, jumping through our normal plugs. Uh, I am going to do one other quick one and mention before we uh, get started here that we are going to have an interview coming up uh, either next episode or the following episode uh, with one Kyle Rowan from Weird. Uh, If you know Weird, you know Mm. the games they produce, tabletop uh, game Malifaux, The Other Side, which is uh, in the same universe. We're going to be talking Vagrant Song with Kyle, who is one of the designers of the game. So we are very much looking forward to getting to speak to him. Uh, hopefully next week, and we should have that interview coming to you guys shortly as well. Uh, I've sung the praises of that game so much over the last year that I'm very excited to have this conversation with him and just pick his brain about design and kind of the future of. I know they're they're still working on some expansion material for it, so we'll we'll, we'll get to the to the bottom of all of those goodies. Especially if you're a Vagrant Song fan, you should definitely tune in. I was actually thinking about this today. Uh, in preparation for this, you know, not only the questions that we needed to get into and dive into, and uh, obviously we're going to fanboy out a little bit. We're both big fans of the game. Um, But I'm thinking like, how do you expand Vagrant Song? And I had this really cool idea in my head. What if you get another board that's more train cars? So you connect the main board to the expansion board. So now the train gets bigger. And then there's like a little, you know, like they can do a tile that's like, you know, that little track between cars in like the old, you know, the old railroads where like, you know, people usually have a, a fight in the movies on this little like sidewalk that connects the two train yeah. cars and you have to go to train to train. Oh, I was just thinking about that. So hopefully I'm foreshadowing to something amazing and uh, great minds think alike, so to speak, because I think that would be awesome if you have, you know, two vagrant song boards or maybe just another car. Maybe it's the caboose and it goes to the back and then. You know, unique stuff happens in the caboose or maybe a coal car or an engine or something unique board that extends the train. I think that would be fantastic. I don't know, Ryan, you're, I know you're more into the game than I, but what do you think? You like that idea? I think it could be very cool. I think there's a lot of things they could do. The, the one I always keep thinking about, and this comes back to what you talked about in one of your top 
50 games last time was um, Townsfolk Tussle, where that sort of inner intermediate part in between yeah. the actual boss battling and what can happen there. Um, Vagrant Song has a really cool like – Yeah, that like Towns phase almost. Yeah, they have like a, a – a, what's called – I think it's called the other side deck or something like that where you and te- your you know teammates get to basically pick um, one of three options based off some like lore text on the card and then something positive or negative will happen after that depending on what you picked. And I think there's room in that phase to do more cool stuff. Maybe, I don't know, background story on some of the, the characters in the game or who knows what. But like that's that's something I think is an opportunity for them. But It'll be interesting when we talk to Kyle just to see, like, I want to hear about some of the history of design for that game, but also kind of where they're going with it. So we'll, yeah. we'll definitely find out. I have so many, so many concept, conceptual questions, like where this thing came from, where was it, the, was the game developed before the theme or was the theme first? Like, yeah. there's just so many good questions. I'm so excited. Yeah, that's a really good one too. And we have yet to work on our question list, uh, full disclosure, but that's probably one on mine too, is what <laughs> came first with this was at the theme. I, I feel like probably the theme weighed heavily into design because it just feels like, you know, when you play a game like that, it kind of feels like the, the, the lore or the story or whatever behind the game is what drove the game to be created, not the other way around. But I could be wrong. But what's interesting too, the fact that this is a weird board game. And that's weird, W-Y-R-D. You and I are both former Malifaux players, right? And one of the reasons why I got into Malifaux, not only is the minis cool, but the characters and the, and the, and the stories and the, and the lore behind uh, Malifaux and behind that world. Let's be honest though. The real reason you got into it was there was an orangutan that wore brass knuckles. That is also very true. Uh, I am a sucker for anthropomorphic fighters. Um, so, but, but like they could have easily done a similar game already in that world. And they went off and did this all other universe. You know what I mean? And I don't know, maybe because the, the Bayou game is set in the Malifaux world ish. And maybe yes, that's because maybe that Bash. didn't do as good as they thought. Yeah. Bayou Bash. Maybe that's, maybe I that's a factor why they wanted to come up with a unique. I do too. It looks great. And I'm not a big racing game fan, but that racing yeah. game, it's like, it feels like, um, it's like, like Mario, Mario Kart, Kart meets Malifaux. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Dude, like, I love, who doesn't want to ride a pig? So, yeah. <laughs> who doesn't want to throw blue shells while riding a pig? I'm just going to leave that riding a pig comment go. We're going to carry up. on here. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, how about we get started? Let's resume our list. We're starting at 25, going to the top, number one. One but, minute per roughly. But before, and, uh, yeah. Before we hit number twenty-five, are you drinking, or are we just? Moving oh yeah, I completely right forgot this. about that. The drinking is so smooth <laughs> it made me forget. All right, cue the yeah, me the, too. The soft piano in the background. I am drinking something very special from my dear brother-in-law Joe, who is part of our game group. Uh, saved a very special beer for me from Treehouse Brewing. Uh, which is up in Massachusetts, oh, and it is King Julius Batch 5000. Uh, it is the 5,000th total batch of beer brewed through their Charlton Brewery up in Massachusetts. Uh, it's 8.2% and another American double. If you've ever had Treehouse, or if you haven't, it is one of the premier 
New England IPAs from the Northeast. I know there's like Alchemist up there and some other big names, but uh, I would say Treehouse is right up there with any of them. Um, when we were at PAX, Joe got a whole bunch of Treehouse from a neighbor, I think, who brought a bunch yes. down from Massachusetts. And uh, so we we split every one of those, I think. Um, but he saved the special one for me. So cheers to you, Joe. It is as delicious as all the others. Um, it's kind of your typical New England IPA, but with a much smoother taste. The alcohol is more hidden, and there's a the citrus bite that you get from some of them that's really, really strong is kind of softened by the hops. It's just really delicious, um, and I can't say thanks enough. So we are celebrating the countdown from 25 to 1 with one of the better beers I've had in a long time. So that's King Julius Batch 5000 from Treehouse Brewing up in Charlton, Mass., not Ithaca, PA. What do you got, buddy? And our, well, again, being a special inaugural double part episode, um, I, I feel I, I didn't pull out any stops with my choice. Uh, it is the newest beer that I knew about from a favorite brewing company that both yourself and your brother-in-law, Joe, uh, turned me on to, uh, and that's New Trail. And this is the Otter Chirp Hazy Double IPA. It is an mm, 8.5. I'm on my second 16-ouncer. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there are notes of uh, tangerine bouquet, light resin, and sweet currants. Or currants? I'm not sure how you pronounce that. Currants? Uh, it is made with currants. Uh, it is made with white wheat and oats. <laughs> The hops are Citra, Amarillo, Simcoe, and my poor vision has something with a C, but I can't read it. But this is a very unique, tasty, uh, hazy double IPA. Plus, there are these amazing little otters on the can doing all kinds of little frolicking things in the water. So I had to buy it. And that is the Otter Chirp. Highly recommend if you like... Hazy, and if you like, especially the double high octane eight point fives. New Trail is delicious, no matter what you uh, what you buy. Oh, you can never go wrong. And I would say the same about Treehouse too. There's almost nothing I've had from that brewery that I don't like. So, uh, both excellent choices to celebrate. So, who went first last time? Was it you or me? I think I did. I think I did. You did. Okay. <laughs> you want me to go first this time? I started with Kingdom Death. Yeah, oh, why don't you take right, it away? All right. All right. So let's get rolling. Number 25 for me is a game. We talked last time a little bit about games that we played once or twice that are on these, the, you know, these top 50 lists. And I felt some personal shame for even doing that, even though I've played way more than 50 <laughs> games in my life. But sometimes you just find a game that hits that button for you. It's the winner. It's really good. You play it once. You want to play it again. You want to play it a third time, a fourth time. And this fits that for me. I picked it up at PAX. It is Fall of the Mountain King. Uh, we only played it one time, but I was so blown away Man. by a lot of the mechanics in this game, specifically the action mechanisms with the tableau building and then Sort of the that yeah, gnome that, wheel concept where you're controlling the flow of enemies to your benefit or detriment, depending on who gets to do it. Um, 
that had such a cool mix of mechanics to me. I love the way you use these ancestry cards to build out what your actions can be. I love the way you have to plan when you do that so you don't screw yourself in later rounds. I love when you choose actions, you're trying to do that puzzle where you're placing cubes on your ancestry board so that you're not, um, you know, sort of preventing yourself from having larger, more powerful actions later in the round. I love the counterplay with that gnome wheel where <clears throat> if you don't get it and another person does, it can really screw you over. And so you're trying to balance what you have on your tableau to make sure you don't prevent yourself from being able to control that when you need to. I love the competition for the heroes. I love the placement of the the layers inside the mountain and sort of how you flow out from there and what the, you know, the, the struggle, the power struggle that exists. I just thought it was really unique and really interesting. I like area control games and this one is one of the winners. So very surprised as well that I loved it as much as I did, but I loved it so much that it just shot past a whole bunch of games for me. And it's something that I think I would easily be able to play another 20 times and not get sick of it. So I think I went over my minute, but that's fall of the mountain King from Burnt okay. Island games. And I'm going to hopefully only add another minute of context as well, because <laughs> I also really, really enjoyed this game. Um, it, it felt very like the wolf, like we played the wolves at PAX. I, I yeah. fell in love, right? That was an honorable mention that we talked about on our uh, uh, games of the year. Uh, and this one felt in the same sort of vein. And these are typical games that I, I myself am not, I, I don't get drawn to them, but as soon as I, we started building and drafting that sort of tableau of actions, it's where the game really just came alive for me. And then yeah, the, definitely. Um, trying to, to get the certain legend trolls. Uh, I really loved that aspect of it. It had that knit of a leer type of feel to it. In my opinion, when you go and try to, you know, uh, accomplish in a, a row and then get one of those elder elder dwarves. This was like, you just have to have the highest on those cards to claim it. And they are, uh, there's a lot of good agency with those characters. And then they um, bump you up. I, I wish I had for that clan too. So you score on yes. that. Like there's a lot of scoring synergies mixed in all over the place. It's, it's really clever. Yeah. There was a, there's a lot in this game. And it, yeah. I think it, at, when you just look at the back of the box, or you look at the, the art, you're just like, you could get turned off right away. Either A, it's going to look too complex, or B, it's going to look like a game that you don't want to play just because of how, how it looks. But like, there is so much game within game within game in Fall of the Mountain King. Uh, I agree. This game is just, it was so much fun to play. And honestly, can't wait to try it again. Yeah. You know? Yep. So that was 25 for All me. All right. So my number t 25. Good good choice for being brand new. Uh, so my number 25 is a game that uh, I've, I've played for years since it came out. And it is such a unique concept of a game. And was it, it, it basically is centered around... One of the coolest aspects of when you get a new video game or when you're starting a D&D &D campaign. Uh, and the whole game is centered around building your character. And this game is called Role Player. And you use uh, dice uh, manipulation to basically do these giant puzzles of math as you create your character you you get gear for your character 
and you um, you sort of do a little bit of take that to your opponents. But basically, the whole game is X amount of rounds of just creating a character um, that you would in, in, like I said, a video game or or when you're playing D and D. You know, there's the the stat lines that you're trying to meet, and you get bonus points based on your allegiance and your you know, chaotic good or chaotic neutral, etc. Your class can add different scoring conditions. Uh, your gear adds scoring conditions, and at the end of uh, X amount of rounds, you tally up your the math that you've been building the whole game, and whoever has the highest points wins. And you're trying to put colored dice in certain spots to get bonuses. So it's got like a little bit of that Sagrada sort of feel to it, but um, but definitely a little bit more advanced, a little more thinky. There's been two expansions to this game that just keep adding to that sort of character creation. They've brought in familiars. They've brought in boss battling after you create your character that adds extra end game scoring conditions. And then ultimately this all led to a large story-driven narrative campaign game called Role Player Adventures, where you can take your character that you spent, you know, a good hour, hour and a half building in the role player game and port it over into a role player adventure and then go off and running in a campaign with your friends. So it's a competitive game that can get into a co-op system. And, uh, this game is just, um, so fantastic. And, and Thunderworks games, uh, who, who, who put out role player, uh, Keith is the designer. Um, he has built so many games out of this world, out of this ecosystem of role player. And they are all just fantastic. But my number 25 is role player. So I've never played role player. I've always wanted to try it. Um, and every oh, time I go man. to certain places, I was just thinking we, we should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. At some point in time, we should. I, I do want to play it at some point in time. Uh, all right. Oh, I just love this game. The art, the universe. Oh, it's just, it is just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it looks awesome. I don't know why I've never played it. I, I just, I've always thought about buying it and then I'm like, there's something else I want more and I never get it. So we'll have to set that up. One of the things I like about these lists is that we end up finding like more stuff we both have to play because <laughs> there's a fair amount. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, 24 for Number me. It was 24. Easy choice. This game's gotten a ton of play, both from the co-op version and the competitive version. That's Dice Throne. Um, who doesn't love chucking dice? Mm. Like who doesn't love chucking dice playing just <laughs> like Yahtzee, right? Well, imagine I took Yahtzee and I made it uh, combative and I put a card Magic deck together. of cards <laughs> with, yeah, I put a deck of cards in and I also added some characters with unique abilities and all kinds of cool stuff. It's just a simple game that just satisfies a bunch of different levels of fun for me. It's a little bit of the unique battler system. It's the thrill of just chucking dice and setting up combos. It's the thrill of playing a deck of cards to manipulate the game. Um, dice Run adventures, which is a whole separate game and in and of itself, but runs off the same system is fantastic because you're able to just like take that exactly like role player and adventures and take your character into an, a, a co-op experience and, beat some bosses that you can also use in the regular dice throne game. So uh, typical with Roxley, it's just an incredible production always. Uh, even the Marvel stuff Beautiful. is fantastic and, and just done well above what I, you or I really expected out of it. Um, 
So it's just one of those classics that sits in my collection and it always sees play. It always sees play from somebody. And that is number 24, Dice Throne and an honorable mention to Dice Throne Adventures and Marvel Dice Throne, which kind of fall under the same umbrella. Yeah, 100%. You you hit the nail on the head. This is just a beautiful production, beautiful game. Um, our, our, our Nerd Hammer crew just utterly loves and adores this game. It's yeah. got... Um, you know, like I, I made a joke earlier. It's got the, 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 the thinkiness of magic and the trickery of magic and how you mitigate your action points versus upgrades versus playing spells out of turn, uh, dealing damage, defending. It just, it has all of that. Um, uh, and then you have these cool, unique characters that just, uh, it's just beautifully illustrated. And then you again you bring in Marvel. Oh, it just it's just great. And 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 then they're simple, plain and easy fun. to teach and fun to play. Yeah. So my number twenty four is a new one to the list. Uh, the designer uh, of this had at least one other game. Uh, yep, yeah, one game in my other list from twenty six to fifty. Uh, and this is his newest design that I am familiar with, and that is Richard Garfield's Mind Bug. Uh, we both backed this on Kickstarter. Uh, we got the game. We played it a couple times, and this is such a beautiful, fun, simple tug-of-war, amazing artwork. Every card matters. Every play matters. Every turn matters. You, when to use the mind bugs, when not to use the mind bugs. Just a back-and-forth mind tug-of-war. Uh, Two-player game, simple, just a, a deck of cards. Randomly get 10, your opponent gets 10, and you play. No deck building, no p- multiple packs, and you get all the fun. You, actually, you get more fun than all of those TCG-type games in this small little, what, $15 box. Uh, I, again, can't say enough good things about Mindbug. Yeah, this is uh, one of my favorite games from last year. And we played a bunch of it already, and uh, we haven't played it in a little while because we tend not to get a whole lot of two-player time. But every time I, we have two-player time, this is like my choice. Like this or the Mirroring of Mary King right now um, because it's just – you can bang games out and it's fun. And the art is silly and irreverent and – it's just really, really well done. It's like a perfect little sit down and smash a card game and then smash another one and another one, and it's only been 25 minutes. So very good choice. Uh, 23 for me is one we talked about a whole lot at the end of last year and a little bit at the beginning of this year. That's Cat in the Box. I love trick-taking. I've loved trick-taking games since I was a kid. I've grown up playing them. We talked about this before. Cat in the Box puts the whole genre uh, in a – box with a cat uh it just changes the way you play (laughs) it changes the way you play trick-taking um games in general it it has a bit of depth to it that a normal trick-taking game wouldn't have even with counting cards because you remove cards from the deck so you don't know what's missing uh it's just really really cool a really cool concept of a game but also like legitimately fun when you play it sometimes games tend to reinvent the wheel just to be clever this is not one of them this is a legitimately good trick-taking game and it got a lot of buzz last year and i think it was justified so this had to make my top 50 because it's one of those uh trick-taking card games that just 
probably will never leave my collection uh, and deserves a spot in the top 50. So that is number 23, which is Cat in the Box from Bezier Games. Yeah, you're 100% right. Um, I love games that take a mechanic like or, or a genre of game like trick-taking in this case, and they don't necessarily just you know, cookie cutter, do something right. Or, or just, Oh, we we changed this. This takes that concept and then just evolves it or, or, or mutates it in a way. Uh, and I think that alone, uh, the way it has mutated trick taking, uh, is just so perfect. And, uh, this game is, is, is uh, is so much fun. I love it. Good chance. It's always interesting when you make a genre slightly better somehow. I don't know how people do it, but they mm-hmm. do it. And I feel like this is one of those. And they continue. It happens. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This, this kick trick taking up a notch. Uh, so <laughs> if you're designing a trick taking game, play this, go back to your drawing board and tweak it because this game is going to, you know, you have to, this sets the bar. I think moving forward for trick taking, I would agree as far as uh, twisting it. So my number 23 uh, is a game I do not own, but we have played it a lot. Uh, It is uh, also has trick taking in in it. And, uh, but it uses trick taking in an area control way. And that is Brian Boru, high King of Ireland. I just, adore this game uh i'm not really good at it <laughs> yet um there's something about it i still haven't mastered <laughs> haven't figured out but i love the the picking the region i love you know playing the draft when you're picking your cards and you're playing out scenarios in your head and then trick one happens and it all goes to pot and you got to pivot and you got to shift you're trying to control regions. You're trying to get married. You definitely need to go to the church, but you didn't draft any church cards. Like I just love the uh, worried about the Vikings sheer evading and taking shit of from choice. Them. Yes. Oh my god, the Vikings! I forgot. Like, but there's just so much, uh, just fun. It's almost like Fall of the Mountain King in a way, but it does different like games within games within games, right? Yeah. Like, there's a lot that you're you're playing in Brian Baru. And you want to, you try to have, you, you want to have a toe in everything, but you only have 10 toes, right? <laughs> I feel like there's 15 places, you know, but, uh, but Brian Baru is just a, a fun, simple to get, simple to pick up. It's, it feels like one of those, uh, easy to learn, hard to master type of game. Cause I don't oh, yeah, think there's sure. any sort of build order, right? Or any sort of pattern that you can just automatically know that this is the way to win. And I think that's what's beautiful about it. But, uh, that's Brian Baru, High King of Ireland. Yeah, it's 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 strategic, but it's also like you said, something where you're constantly shifting and reacting and changing your plans based off of what your opponents are doing. And so you kind of play it the way you describe, which is you put your toe in a little bit of everything to start, and then you kind of see what people are thinking or doing. But there are times where you do that, and it's just too late, and you've already screwed yourself. So, um, really well designed game. And I'm just going to skip right over 22 because 22 is Brian Baru, High King of Ireland for me. <laughs> uh, it's nice. It's, everything yeah. you said is true. It's a, it's a great game. Yeah, it's a it's a crossover. It deserves to be. And and it was a good observation too to think 
uh, Fall of the Mountain King here because there are similarities with Fall of the Mountain King kind of has the tableau card drafting thing that dictates your actions. And so like the way you play is significantly different. But in the end, you're competing for certain resources or you're competing for certain, uh, you know, presence on a track or, or potential points. There are, very, there are a lot of similarities to those two games. That's probably why they both make the list for me is because I apparently really like that. So, but yeah, 22 is, is the same game. Brian Bruhai, King of Ireland uh, from Osprey Games. Awesome game. If you like area control or trick taking, try mixing them together. It's like a, it's like a refreshing cocktail. So what was your, what, what number did you have Arcadia Quest at? Cause you, I had Brian Baru at 23. You had it at 22. I feel like Arcadia Quest was close as well on the last list. 30. Cause I had it at 28. Oh, and you had it at 30. All right. So this one's even the closest, uh, by one, uh, yep. to a cro- uh, you know, with, from a crossover. Um, so my number 22 was a game on Kickstarter a few years back. There's been a second version or a different, you know, an expansion standalone game that uh, uh, basically does a lot of the same, brings in some new stuff, but then combines the first game together. And this is uh, a unique worker placement game. And I, again, we've talked a little bit before. Like, I'm not a huge worker placement kind of guy. I, I, I get a little bored. So I need like worker placement with a twist or worker placement is like one of the games that you play <laughs> in the game. It's two um, euro for and this you. is this. Yes. Yes. I need more, I need more stuff. <laughs> um, but, uh, this is. A designer uh, designed by Scott Alms, who, if you're familiar, is famous for the Tiny Epic series and and you know some some other titles. But this was one uh, that just came out of nowhere. But the concept was so neat and unique, and I was like, you know what? It's Scott Alms. He he's hit or miss with my Tiny Epic love. So, but but this was unique and different enough. It also seemed very simple from a mechanic standpoint and a teach standpoint. That maybe it could get to the table more as a sort of a, a family weight uh, worker placement. And this game is called Almanac the Dragon Road. And Almanac the Dragon Road is a book. And basically every page of the book is a different game. But you're playing one longer game with these little mini games of worker placement. And each page has a unique style of how you're placing your workers. And as you're going through this caravan, uh, through this, you know, through the dragon road, every worker placement game changes as you go. And you think you play like five different worker placement games, maybe it's six uh, in one sitting. And they're not long. Like, it's not like six hour epic. It's like, okay, this is a 20 minute game. This is a 15 minute game. Ah, this one's a little more crunchy. Maybe you spend a half hour. But all in all, you're only spending like an hour, hour and a half total to get through the whole game. Uh, and that's again, first time. It can get faster as you play more and more. But what you're doing is you're collecting resources, uh, at certain, uh, areas of this, this campaign. And then you're selling them at other stages. And at the last stage or the last sort of worker placement game of this larger worker placement game is where you just try to offload everything and you want to be the highest uh, sort of merchant or this caravan of merchants at the end. Um, and you go through little adventures, like little adventure cards between uh, the different, uh, you know, worker placement games within the game. 
uh, it just, I mean, I maybe sounds a little muddy and mushy as I'm going on and gushing over it, but it is just so beautifully done, really cool art. And the fact that this game has 20 different games inside it. So it's one game with like 20 little mini games. Almost think about it like almost like a Mario party, like a worker placement Mario party in a way where every time you're on a different comparison, uh, you know, you get one of those battle modes, right? Like you then go off and do this mini game and then come back to the main board. That's basically how this is, but in a worker placement family weight, uh, fun game. Cool. I would like to try that too. Dragon Road. When did you get that? So this one, so the Almanac the Dragon World came out, I want to say, two or three years ago. And then the second one just, I just shipped to me last year, late last year. Uh, they did a whole other campaign, which was the second Almanac. So basically you can do a two Almanac campaign where the first, you go through the Dragon Road and then you go through the Crystal, I think it's the Crystal Peak or Crystal Mines or something is the second Almanac. So basically you can take everything you do in the first one and it trans, you know, trans, trans, transforms and trans, uh, you know, uh, moves into the second, uh, almanac and you pick up with the second half of the game. Or you could just play that standalone, right? They could both be played standalone or you can combine the two for a larger, uh, basically game of Mario Party. <laughs> Worker plays at Mario Party. <laughs> that's crazy. Maybe that's what we should do next week. What do you think? We game could. We'll do both of those. I'll bring them both. All right. Sounds good. Sorry, just thinking about it. I don't know. It's just, this game's super fun. I think everyone, again, I think if we teach it, people will dig it. I'm game. I'm game for any games. Let's be honest. All right. Uh, 21 for me, you already covered it, is Mindbug. Uh, we picked it up this past year. Kickstarter fulfilled. Fell in love with it immediately. Quick card battler. Not much else to say. I just think the game's really well done. It replaced some other small stuff for me in my collection. And is one of my game of choices for two players if you need a quick minute. Um, I love how powerful all the cards are. There really isn't a, a chance for you to lose much on deck composition because it's just 10 cards and you go. And they're all so powerful that there's all kinds of synergies all across the place. So just really, really well done. Um, MTG light, so to speak, and, and definitely scratched an itch and filled a niche in my collection that uh, replaced some other games. So... Number 21 is Mindbug, and uh, props to Richard Garfield for just continually ripping off his old ideas and making them into new games that really do work and are fun. But they're his. They're his. That's the beauty. They are his. They're, his. they're right. not anyone else's. That's He's he's plagiarizing himself, and I don't know if you can do that, <laughs> right? In, in the, in the, him in and the some of the other original designs. Of plagiarism. Like Scaphalias and some of the other yeah. original MTG testers. But yes, um, yeah, he rips himself off, which is not plagiarism. Just keeps recycling a lot of things. Reiner Knizia does the same thing, like recycles the same mechanics yeah. and puts a new skin on it and sells a well, lot of even, copies. So even our buddy you know Phil Walker, Phil yeah. Walker, we talked about that a little bit. Yep. Um, and I haven't played Magic the Gathering in probably twelve years, uh, maybe fifteen. It might be longer. Yeah, it's um, been a while for me too. And this game, a hot minute. This game fills. Yeah, this game fills that like. That like Magic the Gathering void that has always been there, right? It hasn't been there in my wallet, and it hasn't been there in my yeah. art, right? In my design and in my creative side. But the gameplay of Magic, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So no, my bug's so good. Another crossover, perfect. 
Um, so my number 21, I think if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned it was going to be on my list uh, on the last episode. You guys got to play it for the first time at PAX. Uh, and this game combines aspects of Wingspan, aspects of Everdell. Uh, was it... Uh, and I'm trying to think of that other worker that you like, Champions of Midgard. Yes. Uh, in, in, into one game that is this beautiful, whimsical, uh, unfortunately, it's another anthropomorphic game because I love those games. I wouldn't say unfortunately. Uh, cute, uh, <laughs> I don't think you could ever. I know, enough. I know, but I, mo- most of my games all have some sort of creature in them for some reason. <laughs> Uh, that's just what I gravitate towards. But you're secretly a furry, um, and that's okay. But that's just creature comforts. This is creature comforts. Uh, I think this is just such a beautifully designed, taking bits and pieces of a couple of different games, smashing them together in in just a beautiful soup. Uh, it plays. It's easy to teach. Uh, it could be a little bit long in the tooth, a little bit. Uh, we did talk about that last time. Uh, but again, you can easily just rip cards out. Uh, as you're playing, you know, from a round perspective. Um, but it's got tableau building. It's got worker placement. It's got, uh, you know, dice agency and dice placement. It just brings a lot of things that you love from other games into one, uh, beautiful little package. Uh, and there's a sequel or not necessarily a sequel to it, but it's set in the same universe. And it is another game, uh, called Maple Valley. The spiritual uh, and successor that is going to use some of the mechanics. Yeah, spiritual successor. Uh, but this is going to be a racer, a race game, which I, I'm super kind of neat and excited about because I'm not a big race fan, but I, what I saw, I, I really dug. Uh, that's called Maple Valley. That'll be out later this year. Uh, number 21, Creature Comforts. Yeah, I called it. I knew you'd have this on there. It's, it's like it hits all the <laughs> buttons for you as a player and as a collector. <laughs> and I'll be honest, like I enjoyed playing it and it's gorgeous to look at. There isn't anything I didn't like about it. Like you said, the length maybe, but we just learned to play it that one time. I feel like now that we know it better, it'll probably go faster and it wouldn't really be much of a concern. So very good choice. And like I said, I I knew that was very likely to be on your list after getting to see it in person and getting to play it as well. Okay, 20. We are in the top 20. How exciting. Uh, I'm going to (laughs) start off the last 20 with a – very, very large game, uh, also known as Gloomhaven. It is one of the first ginormous box games I've ever owned. And now I have several. I'm looking at, you know, five of them <laughs> outside of Gloomhaven. Um, when a game weighs 30 some pounds in the box, you don't know what you're going to get. It could be a whole lot of nothing. It could be a whole lot of awesome. And Gloomhaven just turned out to be awesome. Um, there's a crowded field of dungeon crawlers out there. They all kind of have very similar mechanics or very, you know, deft plays on the same mechanics. Gloomhaven kind of took it a little bit in a different direction and then a lot in a different direction in some ways. It was the first one that started to have a much more cohesive and I would say well-written narrative campaign. Uh, but the strength of Gloomhaven was the actual play, uh, especially when you form a character, you know, build your deck of cards that you're using. The action decisions are, are agonizing throughout the game and then the idea of getting a retire character was kind of new you could sunset a character accomplish a personal goal open a new box get a new character all new abilities all new cards 
it just kept the dungeon crawler archetype fresher than a lot of the other ones are capable of doing. And I would say it kind of revolutionized it a bit and drove a lot more people into the hobby because of the success of the Kickstarter and the actual success of the game itself. Uh, I did back Frosthaven. That came in, so I'm looking at an even larger box than Gloomhaven that I have to tackle at some point in my adult life. Who the hell knows when because of just how big that game is, but looks like they improved upon all the good stuff that was Gloomhaven. So I spent a lot of time in this game. I felt like it deserved a spot, and I still have a lot of fond memories, even though I don't play it much anymore. And I will see this probably drop out of the list someday. But for now, it sits at number 20, Gloomhaven from Cephalofair Games, designed by Isaac Childress, who uh, we got to meet at PAX once and was a very nice fella. Gloomhaven for me was number 51. It just, it just law, you know, it was on the bubble, as they say in poker. Uh, I have played in three different Gloomhaven campaigns. I <laughs> loved my experience in all of them. Uh, I can sort of happily say I don't own the, the original Gloomhaven. I did not back Frosthaven just because I do not have the space for another game like yeah. that. I have enough of those. Uh, I do own Jaws of the Lion. Because uh, I liked that concept of sort of an abridged version of Gloomhaven in a smaller box. But cardboard. what Gloomhaven did, yeah, was evolve three different genres of game. It involved a Euro mechanic in the way you play your cards and how you play your cards and how you mitigate your cards. It evolved the dungeon crawler, you know, think Hero hero Quest and... and um, uh, you know, massive darkness, you know, even Zombicide, uh, you know, or, or, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the old school games. It, it, it evolved that genre as well. And then the last genre for me was that storytelling narrative game. Uh, this is by far one of the most, uh, amazing story, uh, plot, uh, you know, creative narrative that exists in board gaming today. And the fact that he was able to, to evolve three different genres of games, smash them together in one just bouquet of awesomeness. That, that's why Cephalofair and, and Childress are going to continue to thrive in this uh, space. Cause I think he's going to keep iterating and keep making it more and more and evolve it. I just cannot wait to see, like, I can't wait to see what our kids get to play in the Gloomhaven world. You know what I mean? 10 years from now, something like that. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. I mean, Frosthaven's up in the ante in a lot of ways based off what I've seen so far. So there's so much evolution to go there yet. And there is a, a little bit of an argument that, you know, when you're shipping a 43 pound box for a game, maybe you should just made a video game. But for those of us who enjoy the tactile, part of gathering around a table with others to play a board game, especially something as epic as a, as that story can be. Yeah. Uh, you, you can justify it. You, you can find a place. I will say you're right about the, the space thing though. It's ridiculously big. It is ridiculously heavy and it fills up an entire cube. In now, my, granted, my Calyx. Now, and again, I'm not, I'm not faulting anyone for it. Okay. Cause if you look at my collection, I've got Osworn. I've got everything for Arcadia Quest. I've got everything oh, yeah. for three seasons of freaking Zombie Side, right? Like I'm not you casting can't cast and I'm not casting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
my glass house. <laughs> I'm not throwing anything. I'm not even throwing feathers. It's even if you delicate. try to just hit a board game, it bounces um, off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a giant one at that. It wouldn't hit like a small box like mine. Yeah. But <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I don't I, – I, I love it. I love it at a distance, and I and I, that's why it was 51. You know, Kingdom Death snuck out by one point because, well, you heard the reasons why. Yeah. My number 20 is the first uh, in a trilogy of Eric M. Lang games. We talked about his third game, Ankh, around level th- uh, number 37 on the last episode. Uh, and this is the original. This is what started it all. And this is where the bar got set. And that is Blood Rage. Blood Rage is a uh, Viking-themed card-drafting worker placement Ameritrash dudes on a map with Euro themes, you know, sort of tethered throughout. Uh this is a beautiful production, a beautiful game, easy to teach. The, the, the teach is easier than the setup and the teardown. That's how, how excessive this game is, accessible this game is, if you can just get it to the table. Um, and uh, again, it started it all. And Rising Sun didn't make the list because I've never played it, but I own all of it. Um, and we got to, we, we got to play Ankh. Uh, last year, um, we got to play Blood Rage, what, two years ago you guys got to play it? Yep. So that's my number 20, Blood Rage. Beautiful miniatures, beautiful production. Again, it's Seamont, so you know what you're getting. Yeah, I mean, I we only got the one play, and we learned it at the time. So my, my experience was a little more jaded or, or muted than I think it would be if we got to play it more. But I could see the potential in that game. And it's it plays so differently than Ankh. Um, and I haven't played Rising Sun, and I know it plays differently than that too, from what I've heard. So <clears throat> that's a game that now that we've played, I, I would very much like to play again. Uh, even though the, t- the runtime is a bit long, it's just deep and fun, very well designed. There's a reason why it's regarded as the the pinnacle of that trilogy at this point in time, because it is the best game out of the three, I would say overall. All right, 19 for me, another small card game. Uh, I have a lot of small card games on this list because let's be honest, like generally when we get to play games, we don't always get to sit down and play epic sweeping Gloomhaven campaigns and three hour uh, blood rage, you know, battles to the death. Um, this is another quick card game that I really enjoy, and that is Fantasy Realms. Uh, I've played Red Rising before I played Fantasy Realms. Red Rising kind of rips off some of the, the gameplay mechanics from fantasy realms but i think fantasy realms is the og hand management game uh in my collection or one of them at least um i just think hand management is such a fun mechanic in games and i think this one does it so well it has a fantasy theme which always i'm a sucker for uh i think the scoring conditions are so varied from game to game based off the cards you get i love the drafting of cards from the discard pile super simple to play deep enough to keep you going Variable enough to play a whole lot. It's just one of those solid, quick, fun card games for two to six players, and it just will always stay in my collection. And we played a bunch of it recently, and I'm still having a lot of fun with it. So that is number uh, 19 from Fantasy Realms. And if you like small box card games and don't own Fantasy Realms, you need to just order it tomorrow because it's one of the best ones you'll play, especially if you like hand management. So 
You are 100% correct in everything you just stated, except for one aspect of it. You used the term rip off when it comes to Red Rising. Okay. Jamie Stegmeier would not say he ripped it off to the point where he <laughs> put it in his the first page of the rule book. He says, "Yeah, it was I love this mechanic. I love this game. I was inspired by how much I love Fantasy Realms. I thought this theme I'm bringing to the table into the board game world would be perfect uh sort of um that's fair. homage or or uh you know, a repurposing of this this sort of uh, style and this sort of game hand management that you guys put out. He did not rip off. I honestly, I wouldn't even imagine he had to ask before that game know. even come out. You're if right, he could though. Do that. He, he did give it proper. I don't know. Credit, so I, you know, I apologize. I will retract you know. my statement. It is stricken from the record because there are a lot of the games. record show that I did. I not mean, say look how many <laughs> look how many games steal from Dominion every day. Oh yeah. Right? And no one gives Dominion credit. Right? At least Jamie and Stonemeyer Games were like, Yeah, as soon as we put this out, people are gonna be like, Yo, this is fantasy rounds. <laughs> like <Yeah. laughs> So In he space. had to get ahead of that. And I think doing it the way he did was beautiful. Yeah. I loved it. It's a good good observation. All right, what do you got for now? Sorry, I I just I love fantasy rums. I just didn't wanna I couldn't let you Say besmirch. that, uh, besmirch Jamie and Stonemeyer's <laughs> <laughs> name. Mm. Sorry, I had to take a sip of number three of Otter Chirp. Number 19 for me, we've talked about. Uh, this could have been the reason why we even started the podcast. Uh, this game. <laughs> uh, we loved it. We've played it a lot. You are... Uh, you know, sort of uh, drafting dwarves from different bars. You're chain. You know, you're exchanging coins. You're bidding for places, and when you get to pick your dwarf, you complete a rank of dwarves. You get to pick a legendary dwarf, like we talked about with uh, the Fall of the Mountain King. And this is the beautiful card game. R.I.P. to the designer, uh, Nita Valir. Uh, I cannot wait to play. What is it? Italavir, or whatever the new expansion is with with uh, the group. Yeah, um, I'd of all. It's just, it's just, it, yeah, I'd of all. This is just, uh, again, there's simple mechanics. Um, it, it's just fun. This is probably one of the best sort of blind bidding games where you, you know, where you're, you're, you're secretly putting your coins face down of when you want to go in turn order. You're trying to get initiative order to, to draft a dwarf from a different bar room for your, for your tableau. I just think it's perfect. Nidavalier. I forget what episode we reviewed it, but go back in the archives, kids. It's amazing. I'm just going to foreshadow slightly and say that this is a crossover. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> All right. Uh, 18 for Strap me. In. Yeah. Get ready. We're going to talk about dwarves. Uh, 18 for me was a, a another surprise game. I, when I was going through my list, I didn't really expect this to fit in my top 50, but as I was ranking games, I just started like I based this whole foundation off just fun. Like how much fun have I had playing this game or that game? And this one I've had tons of fun playing both with other groups and as a solo game. And that's long shot. The dice game. I really, really like this game. <sighs> long shot. So good. So much fun playing it. 
Uh, I don't have a lot of racing games and I kind of don't really care for them in general. Um, but for whatever reason, this one hits the buttons for me the right way. I love the competition of it. I love the betting. That's probably why I like it because the betting part is really fun. Um, I love that you can manipulate <laughs> the other players. You love push a little your bit. luck. You love I do, push I do. your luck. I do push. I do enjoy push your luck. I, I grew up watching No Whammy, No Whammy Stop. So maybe that's part of the reason why. Uh, but this game is just really well done. And I know there are some others out there that kind of do it in a similar way or maybe even slightly better in some respects, depending on who you talk to. But I think this one for the small package that it's in and the variability of gameplay and the amount of options you have, it's just super good. It's a super good game. And it's not, uh, it's not, it doesn't overstay its welcome. And as a solo game, it's fantastic. I really enjoy the solo portion. It's very challenging. Uh, so it's, it's a good little fun thing to sit down and have a beer and just rip out a solo game in 30 minutes before bed or whatever. So long shot, the dice game number 18, highly recommend it, uh, as another small box game. I don't think you can beat it. It's just so much fun. Couldn't agree more. Long shot. I've enjoyed every time we played it. Um, I know they compare it a lot to the newer one. What is it? Ready, set, bet. Um, yeah, that's the John Ready, set, bet version. has been hitting people's radars. Yeah, last year as, as you know, game of the year, and it's in people's you know top one hundred games of all time. Like, uh, and I don't know if they didn't play both, but uh, and again, we haven't played Ready, Set, Bet, so maybe. But I've enjoyed a lot of what Long Shot brings. I like the almost the the super mega lucky box Phil Walker Harding aspects of the the little scorecard that you're you're crossing things off um buying horses you know that that you want to win you know that give you a little special ability i think it again it's got a lot of little little micro games in yes it. but totally. the core is that that just sort of race and and you hope and bet uh, you're right it's it's good so my number 18 uh is from uh, the uh, a company called uh, Unstable Games. We talked about one of their games at number 38. We actually, me and my son, have played their newest game, Casting Shadows, uh, like two or three times since I got it from Kickstarter just a couple days ago or last week. Uh, but however, my favorite game so far, and maybe Casting Shadows will enter the list next year, but right now... My favorite game that they put out is not the original one, which was Unstable Unicorns. Uh, it is a, it's sort of an offshoot, uh, because even Here to Slay has a little bit of, uh, Unstable Unicorn vibes, and that was my number 38. But this is Wrong Party at my number 18. Wrong Party is a fun, drafting game where you are choosing someone to add to your party that hopefully is matching or synergizing with a party theme and what is cool at that party versus what is uncool at that party. And you're, you're drafting at the table and you're setting one person in your party and you're removing one from the pile. And then you're adding a random card before you pass that you don't even know what you're passing. And this game, just no matter who we teach it to, they just you just get into it. it it's simple mechanically. The art is just so cute. And, and the jokes, you know, the, the funny that they put into these card characters. Um, it's just, I, I love it. And honestly, one of my favorite experiences was actually teaching your kids wrong party for the first time. 
Yeah, they really enjoyed it. I loved it. seeing Eleanor's face when she flipped certain characters or, or Jack actually understanding the game, like, immediately, just, you know, the genius that he is. Like, it was just such a fun time. And I've taught this to, again, younger children. I've, I've taught this to uh, some older, older people in our family. Uh, my son loves it as well. Um, you know, there's a couple games that really are swingy if you have the luck of being able to draft it or yeah. get it dealt to you. Um, it's but, still fun though. But all in all, like, so that's, yeah, all in all, like, that's like the one, again, could be considered a balance issue with that game. But if, even if you, like, if you remove those, the game is still beautiful and the game is still amazing. Uh, and that is my number 18, Wrong Party from Unstable Games. So out of I think out of all of Unstable's library, that is the most approachable because it has – like in my family, we've said this many times, take that as a little tough. The kids have trouble when dad crushes yeah. them th- their dreams and hopes uh, like a dad does. And that game doesn't have as much of that, and so it's, <laughs> it was a much bigger hit. But also you mentioned like just art in that game. It's silly. And the kid – like a, from a kid's standpoint – it's fun for them because they get into that portion. They look at the cards and it's silly and it's fun. Even as an adult, I laugh at some of those illustrations. Like the clown. Oh my God, there's just so much humor. Yeah, yeah. it's it's really with good. the knife? It's like the clown with a freaking yeah. butcher knife. Like it's so good. Um, but um, they just. And the clown. The to... clown wins games. If you get the clown. Oh, yeah, that card. Like you broken. win games with the clown. Or you win rounds. Obviously, you win a round if you get the clown. But that, that game just accomplishes the whole game, but. something that a lot of games don't, which is it's a fun, silly, irreverent thing, and it's cute in the same breath, but also kind of full of some you know innuendo and some inside jokes. But at the end of it, it's actually like a fairly good game. Like it's well designed and interesting. The scoring's pretty decent. Like yeah. I was surprised when we played it that it you know on the surface when you look at it you're kind of dismissive of it because of the style maybe, but it's a good game. It's a solid yeah. game underneath, and I can see why you picked that. Uh, all right, eighteen. Yeah, I, we've gotten we've gotten wrong part of the table so many times. So oh, yeah. it had to again. It had to make the list, and and I bought it because number seventeen, Ryan, and we've played it too. Yeah, <laughs> a, a yeah. bunch. All right, seventeen. Uh, I'm going to go back to the two player well here because I play a fair amount of two player games uh, with my wife or with with you or some other people. Uh, Brad and I had a two-player day. What back in October or something? We played five, six two-player games. Uh, so Watergate. Jealous. I know Watergate is is my number uh, seventeen of all time. I have not played a two-player game aside from now. I can add the Mirroring of Mary King to this list. That is as tense and pushy, pulley and. Uh, just so close and well done, like Watergate. Uh, it is indeed themed after the uh, Richard Nixon scandal. And so the subject matter or theme of the game just turns a lot of people off to it right away. Like, why the F would I want to play a two-player card game about a political drama? Um, But underneath that is a really elegant design and a very, very tight design. I have never played a game of Watergate where I ran away with it, and I've never played a game of Watergate where I got stomped. It's so close and so well-designed. There's almost an argument for Watergate to say that it's too well-designed, that the games are almost too close when you have two people who know how to play games playing each other. But I think it's a strength of that game, and it is one of my premier two-player games in my collection, one that if I have to sit down and pick a two-player game, it's near the top of the list every time. So 
if you're into into two player games and you like <clears throat> you know close competition stuff where it's very very thinky and sort of uh you know hand management is a part of it again too sense of theme here uh yeah, watergate the, is is near the top of the, the list, beauty so the number 17 and the beauty of this too cuz you and I have played this yes uh, with each other like i love this game uh i i really enjoyed it uh, but one of the the beauties of this game, and I think we we touched on it a little bit with Mindbug, is every card you have is good. But like, how do you maximize and make sure you use the card at the right time for the right thing? Like, right. do you play it to take a person, back. or do you keep it? Yeah, because you won't get them. Like, I just just the decisions that you have. I love the crunch. Uh, every, of those decisions. Every turn has so much gravity you know, in that game. It's beautiful. And it's a it's a yep. cool thing. So yep. Solid game number and seven. Like you could you could choose to to manipulate that track. You could choose to manipulate that track versus trying to get the board, you yes. know, or that map, you yep. know, uh fixed. So it's like a it's a it's a it's a choice just there in the game. Take the cards out of it, you know. Um, so there's just choices on top of choices. I love it. So we are we are at an hour and five minutes, and we haven't even gotten to fifteen yet. <laughs> oh Is that my bad? God. <laughs> I feel, I, yeah, we should probably pick up the pace. We'll well, again, these. Are, I know, I know. Well, I want to save more time for the top five. Let's these are do the, that. Ah, ah, this is such okay. Just, so what, just random. Ahead. Oh, number seventeen, looters. Seven, 17. Right, what do you have for sixteen? <laughs> <laughs> 17 is looters. Uh this is this was a a small box Simon game. We reviewed it last uh last year one of our episodes. Go back and take a look at that. Looters brings uh is 100% take that. If you love take that oh, yeah. and with with a whimsy fun magic to gathering sort of tethered in uh that's looters. Uh beautiful fun game, high player count. Uh, again, cool artwork. Can't say enough. Looters. 17. Looters is full of big moments. Speed round? No? <laughs> well, I, we, can, we can keep it short and then and a short like rebuttal. But Looters is Looters is a, a take that game of the highest degree and just full of big moments in a game. And I think that's what makes it so special is the, the constant big moments like that. And it's that's what makes it great. All right. Uh, 16 for me. Is Return to Dark Tower. Uh, one of my regret purchases that I turned out not to regret after a bunch of playthroughs. Fantastic cooperative game. Fantastic app. Great design. Great components. Awesome shelf presence. I'm looking at it right now. It's glowing back at me. One of the best cooperative games I've played <laughs> in a while. Uh, and just a really good design. Uh, we played a bunch so far. I love everything about it. I want to try the competitive at some point. I haven't even played all the scenarios, all the uh, boss fights, everything. So um, if you love cooperative games, I know the price tag is high, but this might be one of the best cooperative games out there right now. And if you can get a deal on it, I highly recommend it. That is Return to Dark Tower. Uh, God damn it. I can't remember who produced it. Was it Restoration, right? Yeah, it was Restoration Games. Uh, can't recommend this enough. All right, where are you at with 16, buddy? So my number 16 is my second two-player-only game. And technically, this, I mean, and regarding what else is yet to come, this is probably my second, and it's very close between this one and the other for my favorite two-player game. 
Uh, this was a game that was out of print for a very long time. And I am happy that they brought it back in print because when people talk to me about two-player games, I can now recommend this to them. Because before I couldn't recommend it and I had to go with, uh, you know, like a Jaipur or, or a Lost Cities or, um, maybe even, um, I'm trying to think like a, like a, you know, like, like a Watergate or something like that. Like that is more readily available, more easily accessible. Uh, but this game is, is just so much fun. Uh, and it's called Targi. And Targi also now has an expansion, uh, late, I think last year, or the year before. Um, so not only did they bring it back in print, but they added more content to it. And Targi is one of those games where you have, um, you're putting out two different workers and you're getting the axis of where they meet. So you're putting one on a column and one on a row, so to speak. And then, um, you're getting the action at the spot that you place them. But then at the end, when you place your second, you're trying to hone in on the one key spot that you want to take into your tableau. And then you, uh, you know, so it's a tableau builder with these Euro mechanisms and you're trying to sort of get the best spot that's possibly out there while trying not to necessarily, you know, mess over the other player, but it happens and you get, it, 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 it changes every turn. Um, and then there's a, uh, like a little, like a, a third player that sort of goes around the outside of the track, uh, that, that does stuff every time it hits certain, uh, spaces. Um, but this is just a, just fun, easy to teach. Uh, um, um, uh, somewhat chess-like and, and like, okay, if I move here and then they go here, that only gives me this space and this space. So which space is going to get me the most so that I can come back next turn, you know, even for a better turn, or I'll get the resources now that will help me down the road. Uh, so you'll take a slightly lesser turn um, to set up for another big swing on the next turn. Um, so that's, that's Targi. Again, it was out of print for a very long time. I actually hunted it down. I think I bought it on eBay. Uh, about pff, 10 years ago, uh, when it was out of print and hard to find. And then they come out with a, you know, what a couple years ago it came back, but a beautiful game, uh, beautiful components. Um, and that's Targi. Never played it. Always wanted to. So add that to the list of things that we need to play. <laughs> so, Cause so there's good. just so many. Yeah. I'll have to bring that in. Yeah. I'm, I'm down. I've been wanting to play that, that for one a long time. All right, uh, 15 for me is another crossover, and that is why a uh, long-time childhood callback to dungeon-crawling adventure games with a bit of role-playing, and that is HeroQuest, one of the all-time classic board games, uh, especially Whoa. for those of us who are fantasy fans. I have a copy I mentioned last episode that's sitting up on the top of my shelf with uh, masking tape over the corners. Gargoyle lost his wings. Uh, most of the, the fireplaces and furniture are all dinged up and worn with love. But this game has seen so much time in my life of play and is one of the seminal titles of any board gamer who loves dungeon crawlers. Not much more to say about it. It's an all-time classic. So that is number 15 in a crossover from your list. Hero Quest from Milton Bradley. <laughs> or now Avalon Hill has. Yes. <laughs> This is the uh, OG yeah. ones when they stole it for bought the rights off GW. No, I'm with you. I anyways. agree. Uh, my number fifteen is the maybe first could be the last could be the only Phil Walker Harding title on my 
top 50 games of all time. I feel like you're lying. And that is a beautiful, just amazing engine builder with Simon's twist and Simon's production quality that honestly may not be the most uh, overproduced out of all Phil Walker Harding's titles. And that is a game called Gizmos. You're pulling marbles out of the back of a, of a big sort of vat, or you're pulling marbles from a conveyor belt. You're building little widgets and little gadgets, uh, to, to sort of combo. Uh, you know, that's where the beauty of this game is. If you can do 15, 20 things in one turn, just from doing one thing, whether you're just buying or picking, uh, or, 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 or uh, what's filing, uh, it's just such a beautiful, combo machine and it really set me on my path for engine building love uh and that's gizmos uh, from simon and designed by phil walker harding excellent little engine builder uh i shouldn't say little this game's pretty decent size and uh one of <laughs> one of those games i think if i was going to introduce someone to engine building that'd be my choice because it's very approachable uh, and like most games phil does it's just fun it's fun it's a great production and it's fun. Good choice. Uh, 14 for me. We talked about Mr. Eric Lang's uh, previous titles and Ankh is number 14 for me. Um, in terms of dudes on a map games, this is one of my favorites I've ever played. I think the design is fantastic. I think it is immense fun. The variability of the different gods and all the units um, that, that can be in play just creates such a massive, uh, you know, variability from game to game. I think the player count issues that are there in some cases with the merging of the God mechanic is a little bit contentious. And I can see, you know, we've got some actual experience playing at different player counts. I think this is best at two is great at four. It is a slog at five and it sucks at three. So I keep that in mind, but in terms of just, <laughs> Sheer fun, sheer brain burning depth of strategy and planning and army management and re, you know, uh, your follower management. Just a really, really tight design. I love the action choice mechanics that he has where it pushes forward trackers to get to a particular type of event that happens and you want to try to place yourself to be in that event. Um, really great design. I think Eric does a fantastic job with this style of game and. Ankh is no exception. So that is number 14 for me all time. And I can see this maybe sliding down, but we'll see. That is Ankh, Gods of Egypt from Simon, designed by Eric M. Lang. Beautiful game. Love it. Those minis. My God, those minis. I am Simon buying, really uh, set the bar with those minis. Yeah, I'm buying some uh, Army Painter speed paints to at least get some some color on those at some point in time. So but I'm painting Deep Rock first. So my number 14... Uh, I think we've joked around a little bit about it. Like, this could be considered the best engine builder. Yep. May. I don't know if it's my highest in this list. No, no, it's not my highest on the list. So, hint. <laughs> I love engine building. You'll see and hear about other ones. Um, but this one is amazing and really, uh, was, was sort of like my, maybe my second, uh, sort of toe in the engine building water. Um, that I just fell in love with. And that was by Tom Lehman, and that is Res Arcana. Uh, we, you know, you look at sort of like that your starting cards, or if you draft, 
And you're like, how am I going to make something work? And then turn after turn, it starts to build and you start to see it. And you, and your little, you, you know, you have a private engine that you're building that uh, has sort of a splendor feel where you gain resources to play cards. You use the cards to get more resources. You use those resources to buy buildings. You use those buildings to help you get more resources with your cards. And you, you try to find these synergies and these combos that just make your turns feel so epic. And they are so fulfilling. Uh, if, if you can get them to, to, to synergize and to match up and to sort of in the true spirit of building your engine, if you can make your engine work turn after turn after turn, it's just beautiful. And, uh, it, it also feels like a, you know, from a mind bug standpoint where it doesn't matter how many cards you get or what cards you pick, you will find the synergies and you will find a way to make them work. There are no necessarily bad cards. These cards all have a use. These monuments all have a use. These, um, you know, the places of power all have a use. Uh, and that's, and the art. Oh, the art's beautiful. Really yeah, cool, unique style of art. Um, uh, and two expansions. And not only, you know, just like, oh, put more stuff in it. They are two expansions that enhance the gameplay. They're not, they're not just throwaway expansions or you don't have to buy them. These are great expansions. It's more cards, more cool stuff, more of what you love. And then they add new depth, you know, the pearls, uh, and the other, what was the, the first expansion? Demons. Is that just more of the add on? And then the pearls came. Yeah. The, the, the more of that take that element. Yep. Um, to the game. So it wasn't just a game of solitaire the whole time, or maybe someone got a dragon out. Um, they added more sort of, interactive with other players and then the pearl mechanic and the pearl path to victory of the latest expansion just oh took a great game and just you didn't even think it could get better and it just added that cherry on top so my number 14 res arcana excellent pick and i'm also happy that you ranked it over gizmos because as good as gizmos is res arcana is (laughs) absolutely fantastic uh we just played today and we didn't finish, but it was still, we were teaching yeah. some other folks, but it's a great game. And I, it was still my favorite engine builder. I love it. And I've yet to announce it. So let's just keep that in but mind. But when you, but when you teach somebody it and they get it and they pick it up and then you see, oh, I you love see that the light bulb. Yeah. Like you could literally <laughs> see the light bulb. And then you're like, and then the, the next thing is what I feel is, why have I never played this game? This game is awesome. I love this. Yeah. Like they keep it at, they keep it hidden inside, you know, <laughs> but you know, it's there and you know, they love what, you know, they, you know that they're just, they feel almost guilty by not knowing that this game existed or playing yeah. it prior to that moment where they just click for them. Like, I love that about it. Yep. It absolutely has that good choice. All right. Uh, 13 for me is a, another small box game. Fantastic for parties. But just really, really great. I love bluffing games. I love betting games. This combines all those. That's Skull. It looks like a box of coasters. Uh, and I have I've credit to you for, for introducing me to this game. But I've played it, I don't know, hundreds of times. A hundred times since the last time you and I played. Um, Skull is one of those games that you can put in your backpack and take to a bar. It's one of those games you can take to any party if you know there's people there that like yeah. to play games. You can play it with family. You can play it with friends. It's so easy to teach. I have people who think that I cheat at it by marking the cards because I can just like generally <laughs> – uh, I'm not bad at like reading people, especially people that don't game a lot. They kind of have a lot of tells or give stuff away. Um, Skull is amazing, and it's one of the simplest games you'll ever own. 
but it is applicable to just about every group you play with. It is such a great game. So that is number 13 for me and will always be high in my collection because of just how approachable yet deep and fun it is. That's Skull. So it's funny. Um, you know, having obviously showed, you know, introduced you to it, Skull is my number 56. But hearing you talk about it and then me going back in time and reliving <laughs> the games of Skull that I've played. Yeah, I'm really surprised you don't have it in the top you know, 50. Full player counts to four player count. Like, again, it's my number 56. I'm not going to lie. Like, it will, it probably will be. It'll it'll make the list maybe next year, <laughs> yeah. right? Because I wasn't thinking about the memories, and I wasn't thinking about the the enjoyment at the table when I was going through some of this. It's so fun, or or it didn't. But for such, a, I mean, it, it basically is a game with coasters. Like beer, you could you could make your own copy of Skull, yeah, with beer coasters do. or any coasters, right? I think, and this thing. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, how young you are, you know, where you come from, which, you know, if you're a liar in real life or you're actually the most honest human being on the planet, this game will show sides of people you didn't know existed. <laughs> and it's so beautiful when it happens. And you can take them, you could be sitting at a table full of nuns and end up cursing one of them out by the end of the night just because of how great they played Skull. Like, it's yes. just so beautiful. And it's another one game. of those games like Looters that just and is for full $10, of big moments. like, yeah. All right. I believe, so what I've been doing, Ryan, is I've been bolding titles in my in my excel list here as we're going through <laughs> why when there's a crossover oh i see just so i know when the crossovers are right. and um good choice and, and good, i've good gone thought. and i go back like so this i believe is a crossover from your first half of the list because it didn't get mentioned tonight and this is a deck builder that uh took the basics of deck building and much like cat in the box it brought more uh, – it, I think it evolved or mutated. I'm using mutated a lot tonight. I like that word. I Because I think it's, it's like the Ninja Turtle mutation. It's a good thing. <laughs> it was awesome. Right? Not Toxic's um, Crusader mutation. So where this mutated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, or, or just Toxic Avenger in general. It's yes. not necessary. Well, he was kind of a cool good guy. I don't know. Maybe we've got to get off tangent. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so this is um, – a, 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 a deck builder that adds uh, just a unique twist with a little bit of tableau, little bit of engine building aspects, and or at least combo building. Uh, and that is Fort from Leader Games. Um, I have loved Fort since the day you bought it. I, it was on my list to buy. You bought it first, and I still don't own a copy of Fort, but I <laughs> love playing Fort. It is just such a beautiful – I love the – again – uh, is it Kyle, right? Kyle's yeah, art Kyle Farron. is just so... Our dear friend. Kyle Farron's art is just so awesome in this, with these little kids and these characters, and you just get to know them, and you, and you can re you go, go back in time when you were in these situations, and you can see, like, who was your spunky, or your bubbly, or your stinky, or whatever. Like, you have friends, and just the way it goes, where you're you're playing some of them, you're keeping some of them, and then you're giving some other friends away, right? And hoping they don't get stolen, but it happens in real life. Just that weird little thematic thread to this 
with the engine building and that, you know, that, that sort of tableau making with your backpack and your forts. I just, I love it. And, and again, the resources you're dealing in toys and pizza, two of my favorite things in the planet. Two so, things you know very well. <laughs> I know those things better. <laughs> and board games is number three, but yeah. forts and uh, toys and pizza, my number one and number two. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, great choice. Uh, yes, it was on my list last time. It's one of the, my favorite deck builders and not because it, it, it is a, cl- a classic or typical deck builders because it sort of spun things around. And I love that about it. And it's not the most approachable deck builder, but when you learn it, it becomes something you yeah. either love or you hate. And we both love it. So I'm glad for that. Uh, all right. 12 for me is another small game, but this one is probably the smallest. Uh, maybe, maybe you could say skull is smaller. But I think this is even smaller in physical size, and that is Love Letter. There are very few games in the world that you can put a <laughs> deck of maybe 12 to 16 cards together, deal out one to each person, and then have a deck that they draw from and play. And not only play, but have the level of fun, the level of thinkiness, uh, card counting, all kinds of other you know mechanics you put in a lot of card games – and still consider that game to be worthy of being in your top 10 or top 15 of all time. But Love Letter is one of those games. It is an absolute classic. There are so many permutations of this now in terms of theme. doesn't matter what you play. I prefer the OG Love Letter, the classic. It's just one of those awesome games. Again, like Skull, you can play with just about anybody in just about any situation. <clears throat> it's just a small bag of with some cards and some tokens. Whip it out, play it. You're, you're almost never going to find somebody who doesn't think it's awesome. Um, so Love Letter is one of those games that's just constantly seen play over the years and will continue to. And that sits at number 12 for me and is likely to stay somewhere around there because it's just one of those all-time greats. So that is Love Letter. And Love Letter was a crossover. I had it yes. at uh, number 40 on my list. Um, 100%. The fact that there are what? 18 cards, 12 cards, whatever. And there is so much game in that small amount of footprint. And there are games that do all this stuff and all this, add this and add that. And, and they can't even come close to holding a candle. No, nope. how not even close. fun you have with Love Letter. And to your point about the permutations, I think I own three versions of Love Letter. I own the original... Japanese, uh, uh, whatever, Kanan Factory, whatever the original publisher was of the original Love Letter. The first permutation I bought was Archer, because I love Archer. <laughs> and it adds that unique sort of Archer-ish sort of thematic ties, where like certain cards do certain special things when you play them. And then up until the last time, or the last version I bought, which was Jabba the Hutt's Palace version <laughs> of Love Letter. Jabba the Hutt is one of my favorite characters in Star Wars, if not my favorite character in Star Wars. And when they brought that theme to Love Letter, I was like, I have to own this. I don't care. And I and it, it added player count, and it added more game to the game. So it... it it uh, tweaked it a bit, is what I'll say. Instead of evolve or mutate, it tweaked the love letter mechanics. And I like that. Plus, it has Jabba the Hutt. So, again, Jabba the Hutt, you can't go wrong. So, my number 12. 
I want to say is the most artisanal Phil Walker Harding Ooh. game that is out at current that you can get. And those three words, Phil Walker Harding, run, don't walk to find yourself a copy of Planted. This thing is beautiful. This, uh, it's just, it is a nice, I mean, how many times do we play on the back patio, right? Yeah. Over the summer. It is a nice out, you could play outdoor under the umbrella, sipping some uh, Arnold Palmer's or some beers and just enjoy this nice, relaxing game. Uh, you're drafting, you're, you're you know, feeding house plants or different types of uh, decorative plants. You're trying to get these scoring tools, end game scoring mechanisms. And again, it's just fun. You almost don't even think you're playing a game. You're just sort of hanging out and shooting the breeze and, and there's a game going on. But just showing people when you put this on the table, people don't even know what they're up. Like, they're just like, what? It? Like, you just, their minds are blown just by seeing the little sun tiles or the little water droplets or the little, the little feed bags that everything comes in. I mean, Buffalo Games and Phil Walker Harding have done such a beautiful job on this game that if, I mean, you should, if you, ha if you play board games, this needs to be in your collection just because of the presence of it alone, but it's accessible. It's easy to teach. It's fun to play. And that's planted. My number 12. I'm not surprised Second this is on your list. On list. Not surprised at all. All right. Uh, Actually, wait, in. I fib. I fib. It's my third. It's my third. Because the sushi party. <laughs> yeah, sushi I was going to say party sushi was go. 36. Yep. I fib. Yep. Yep. That's okay. I fib. That's There's nothing fib. wrong with having more Phil Walker Hart on your list than less. So I'm not, I'm not going to complain. <laughs> Uh, number may not be the last time. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> number eleven for me is one of my first uh, true loves in board gaming. Um, there's a there's a handful of those, but this one just leaves a special spot for me as a deck builder with a whole lot more, and that's Clank. Um, I love Clank. I could play Clank any day and never get tired of that game. I love the push your luck aspect. Again, there it is. I love deck building, one of my favorite mechanics in all of games. I love the theme of diving deep into a castle to swipe a bunch of loot and get out before the dragon torches your ass. I love the competition between other players of who's going to push further and when is it safe to leave versus when it's not. And um, Clank Legacy we played, which gives it you know a legacy aspect to it, which was fun, even though I felt the culmination of the game was kind of weak, but... Clank's awesome. Clank is everything a game should be. It's just so much fun to play. There's all that sort of big moment type stuff you get, the the tension of, you know, when to leave, when to stay, what to grab. You know, someone, you know, has a good turn and just juts out in front of you and grabs that artifact you were trying to pick up. It is just such a fun, well-designed game. Uh, it will always be in my top 50, and I could play it any day and never get tired of that game. I, have, I own every expansion – and I've played them all, and they all add their own unique flavor to the game. It's just an all-time classic. And I'm looking forward to Clank Catacombs. I don't have it yet, but I am planning on getting it this year at some point in time to add another twist and some more Flank Clank family to my shelves. So number 11 of all time, Clank from Direwolf Games. If you haven't played it, you should. It's great, as Tony the Tiger would say. <laughs> yes, Clank is um, – Clank takes – the things I love about deck builders 
and the stuff that I hate about uh, push your luck games <laughs> it makes it better, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> like I, I, I feel like I'm better at Clank than like Quacks. Um, it mitigates and, it enough uh, to playing feel like through it's not the your legacy. Fault. Yes, 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 yes. I, I, I didn't cause my own demise. I didn't slip my own throat. But you really um, did. It's just and, it, it uh, makes it seem th- like you didn't. <laughs> and going through the legacy. <laughs> true. Going through the legacy campaign. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I loved how, I, I mean, there was a, I mean, it was almost, it should just be called sticker book, the board game, right? <laughs> there was so many stickers, but, um, but it was beautiful nonetheless. And I enjoyed the experience. I still have my diploma of winning yeah. uh, Clank, our Clank legacy hung up in the game room. Uh, that's your prize for winning is you get uh, your name etched on a certificate of authenticity or heroism or whatever it's called. Um, but I still have it um, in the attic. So it meant a lot to me. I actually have an unopened, sealed still, other Clank Legacy to try again with people or to or to do it again. In the, you know, so I have my own version of Clank um, eventually. But yes, I 100% agree. This is a, a fine, fine game. So my number 11 uh, is a crossover. Uh, it was lower on your lift list. It was lower on your list because of just the amount of times you've actually played it. Uh, now it's because of how many times I've played it. I've loved every bit of it, knowing that there's still more to play that I've not experienced, and maybe recently getting a giant box to put all of it in. And spending two hours, maybe three hours, putting stickers on meeples. Oh my I God. need to get this to the table. I need to play Uber Epic Version Super Everdell, <laughs> where you combine all what five expansions into one experience. They, they started calling that it Omega Dell. Set up Omega Dell. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so my number eleven from was it Starling Starling Games? Yep. Uh, is ever dull. It, uh, it's the artwork second to none, the worker placement, the tableau building, the, the, the engine building you can do, the synergy combos, um, the agency you have with the different, uh, expansions as you add them, you know, the race to trying to claim the, um, I, I forget what they call them, the, those totems or whatever. Um, it's so much fun. And it's, uh, it, and it looks, it looks so intimidating. You set this, th- I mean, you almost need to have another house just to set this game up, how big it is. But when you see that tree standing, you know, two feet off the table, it catches eyes and you're like, what the hell is this? And when you sit down, you're like, oh, you just play a card or you put a guy here or you do this or you do that. Really? That's the game. And it, it just, it's just so beautiful. Uh, my number eleven ever though. Again, crossover. I don't know where you had it. I think you were on what low low thirties, maybe. Let's see, I think I had it. Yeah, I think you're right somewhere in there. If I could turn the damn page here, Everdell was twenty nine, so late twenties. Oh, see, it was close. Yep, not bad. Uh, I I don't have anything else to add. It's one of my favorites ever, and I haven't gotten the complete collection out lately, but. I plan on playing Omega Dell, like you mentioned, at some point in time. I'm very excited about that. Uh, top 10. 
So, so bef- hold on. Yep. Hold on. Yeah. Before we jump in, we have 10 more to go. I know there's at least one crossover that has happened already, which I know you know there's one. I'm predicting another two crossover in our top 10. Okay. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking another two that we don't, that we haven't talked about yet that both you and I will have on our list. I'm saying there's at least two. Do you agree or disagree with that number? I'm going to say I agree. I think, I think you're right. So you think we're going to hit on two or and not go, go over with saying, I think we hit three. I think we or do the uh, prices right BS and go with one. I think we hit two. I think we hit two. Well, not counting okay. that have not been named yet. Not counting the one that rhymes with Bing Ban, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's yes, that's, that doesn't count. Yeah, I'm okay. not counting that. So one. yeah, I'm saying I'm saying two. All right, all right. So okay, ten, top ten, uh, number ten, number ten for me is not a small box game. You brought this up. This is a crossover, so I know this is one of them, and that is Oath. Um. We have talked about this game mm, nice. a whole lot. I'm not going to talk about it much here. <laughs> we just talked about it yesterday. We just talked about it yesterday <laughs> with some other folks. Um, it is brilliant. It is a, an experience in and of itself. You have to have a group that's willing to get into it, uh, but we did, and we loved it, and we yeah. all want to play more of it, and I'm looking forward to getting back to it this year. Cole Worley has some kind of skill with games. Um but they're not for everybody, and we've talked about that too. So I'm not going to dive into that. But it is for me, no. and it's my number. You 10 have to be a special time. kind of person. Yeah, you do. I think I think you you got to be a heavy gamer, and you also have to be willing to play mean. And that's a big part of our group, and why this podcast is titled the way it is. So, yeah. Oath is a classic to me. Will stay in my collection for as long as I'm alive, and lives safely in number ten. That's Oath from Leader Games. So I just realized that my number 10 is tied with the amount of uh, the most a designer has on my list. This is the third game by this designer uh, who we talked about Mindbug. We talked about Keyforge. But this game that he designed – oh, actually, you know what? He's going to take the lead with number four. This is his fourth because I have King of Tokyo on my list as well. Uh, and it's hard to remember designers as you're skimming through a list. <laughs> so this is Richard Garfield. Uh, and this game by Richard Garfield, I almost don't even know that people think or know that this even exists. I think you've played it. We taught it to you. We played it once, I think. But there's something so beautiful and special about this game that uh, it it made my my top ten um, because of the art, because of the mechanics, because of the scoring, um, because of the uh, the teach is not hard. It's a very simple concept of a game, um, but there is so much depth in your choices in this game where every turn every card matters and that is a game called carnival of monsters my number 10 designed by richard garfield wow this is i believe it's published by amigo i love this game i love this game uh that just the drafting mechanics 
the playing of the monsters to do their ability or to, to bank them in your carriage. I love the theme of you are this like traveling sideshow of creatures. Like, I just think that's so cool. I love that aspect of this game. And you're trying to synergize uh, like, like a normal sort of deck builder in a way, but you're not doing deck builder type tropes. Um, but the art has the magic style art from original, original magic, not, not new Kamigawa stuff. This is old school magic art with, I think, Richard's ability to mutate and evolve a drafting game. And uh, I just, I, I love this game. Number 10, Carnival of Monsters. So I remember playing this and, and I liked it, but I'm surprised it's that high for you. Uh, what is it about this that puts it over top of a lot of the other stuff we've talked about? Um, honestly, I think it's the fact that like my wife and son really enjoyed this. Okay. Which means that it was this was a, a game that could be taught to somewhat non gamers and they got it and they picked it up. You know, it has a it almost is like Richard Garfield's Phil Walker Harding ish type game in a way. Because the mechanics are super simple, right? What you do. Um but but you have fun doing it. Because I think the the whimsy and the uniqueness of the characters and the creatures you're drafting to your traveling carnival and your traveling sideshow. Um, but I've had my wife and, and and my son like, hey, can we play Carnival of Monsters? Can we play Carnival? I played the we played a lot of this game, um, and and you know I bought it because of it's a Garfield game and I like the art and I was like, hopefully this game's good because you never know with Richard Garfield sometimes like it could be a hit or miss. Yeah, but this one just. Is such a hit, and I'm, and and I think this one this one might come into the weekly rotation because I think we could knock it out in an hour. Yeah, I mean it's it's a good one. It's a good pick. I'm, I'm just I was surprised. I was surprised it was that high. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's it's definitely high for a game that no one knows about and no one cares about except for <laughs> me. <laughs> That's how I feel about some of this. The other ones, not so much, but this one specifically, yep. I think. Yeah, everybody's got that sort of game that nobody really knows about that's one of their favorites. I, I have a couple of those, too. Uh, moving on to number nine, Meadow. Uh, we talked about Meadow a whole lot. Meadow is <clears> – <throat> I don't know what it is about this game, but it just fills a spot in my collection as a strategic chill game. I know Wingspan might fill that for you in some ways, and, and there are some other titles out there that kind of do this, but Meadow to me is the ultimate uh, expression of like a chill strategy game. Not too hard, not too easy, variable enough that every time you play it's a little different. The art's beautiful. I like the style of gameplay. Um, looking forward to the expansion. We've talked about Meadow a whole bunch, so I'm not going to say too much more, but Meadow's well it's it's kind of surprised me how far up it climbed this list, but when I think about games that are just plain have fun playing, this is definitely in the top 10. So Meadow takes my number nine spot. Um, I can't remember the publisher of Meadow. Do you remember the publisher? Rebel Studios. That's it, Rebel. Thank you. So Meadow, number nine from Rebel Studios. And, and also, I just want to add real quick. So my number nine. I oh. own artwork from one of the original artwork from one of the artists that did a lot of the illustrations in Meadow. <laughs> That's how much I love that game. <laughs> for what it's 
but for what it's worth, you also own no art, original art from Wingspan, and it was so much farther down your list. Than I do, I do. And you have a signed card, you punk. I do. <laughs> I've been buying a dollar. Ca- I've been buying dollar cards off Stonemeyer to try to get a Wingspan autograph card three, four times, and I still have yet to pull one. And you get one straight from the artist. I'll sell you one for a thousand bucks. It's so unfortunate. It's like it's like collector reserve. It's <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number nine. Uh, I think you knew it was going to be on my list. Um, it is. I can see this game actually getting closer to that number one spot, but I have not played it a lot. But the games I've played, whether it was a half try or a solo or with our group, I loved it every time. And that is Arc Nova is my number nine. This game is just it hits all of my buttons it that 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 a game can do. I love the theme. I love the card play. I love the I need these icons to do this and then I got to do this and then I got to do this to do this to do that. I love that sort of thinkiness, that strategic depth. Um and I like okay, if I get this kind of character or the creature, then it'll do this and do that. I don't even think I liked polyominoes until this game came out. <laughs> like I really enjoy the the little uh you know the little zookite tycoon yeah. building the little enclosures and and okay if I can like I, I can put a stand next to this and then put the outhouse over here and then oh I can put the big petting zoo here. Like I just love again it has it has games within the game and I love that. And it does it with a theme that I think we even joked when we did we review Arc Nova? Or did we just no, give we first review. impressions? Like, I think you made the joke. I think you made the joke if, like, you know, I had FU money, <laughs> what my, uh, my Pee Wee's Playhouse would look like yes. with animals. <laughs> like, it would be insane. Um, so I just love that theme. I love this game. I love how it took things. And we, 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 you know, who doesn't compare it to Terraforming Mars? And there were aspects of Terraforming Mars I really liked. I dug. But as a whole, I think this game does things that Terraforming Mars does good and just turns it up a notch and makes it better. And that's my number nine, Arc Nova. I knew that would be on there, and I don't blame you. That's uh, that's going to keep a spot in your collection and probably your top 50 for a very long time. Uh, all right, jumping back to a small box game after talking about Oath and Meadow and Clank. Uh, number eight is Cockroach Poker. This is probably my favorite party game I've nice. ever played um, and will <laughs> always be my favorite party game because I love bluffing and this is bluffing distilled to its simplest form. Uh, I have played this with everybody I know at this point, I think, and everybody loves it. It's one of those games that's just quintessential to a collection and I'll never be without it. And I own um, I own the Cockroach poker royal version and i don't normally play with the royals but i started adding them in recently and that adds a whole nother layer to the game which is not crazy complicated that's the animal that's the critters that have the star right they have or the crown, crown yeah and and then there's also like a blank card yep. and it's just what a game what an amazing game in a small deck of cards you cannot beat it as a party game it is always fun and i'll i have so many great memories playing that game this game's always probably going to sit in my top 10 it's just like one of the all-time greats for me and that's cockroach poker 
I don't own cockroach poker, which is probably why it didn't make my list. But I 100% agree with you. And this is one of those games where it's ten bucks, buddy. I taught it to my twenty twenty something niece, and she sent me a text after teaching it to her. And we played with like, you know, five six people, something like that. She loved it. She was like, I can't even believe there's games like this. Like a non gamer, yep. Who then sent me a text and says, "What was that game you taught me?" And I sent her a link. She's like. Oh, hey, uh, I, I own it already. And she owns it. I don't even own it. <laughs> right? Like, a non-gamer owns Cockroach Poker. But but that's the beauty of this game. Uh, and it, again, it has that skull vibe to it. Like, you can, you know, look someone across the table, you know, your aunt, who you've known your entire life, who is this wholesome, just amazing human being. And they screw you over uh-huh. with passing you toads or crickets, as we joked about, it's right? Great. You know, um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful little game. So, hundred percent agree. Okay, my number eight was one of those two crossovers. I knew we were going to have. Um, this game is oh, the mechanics with the art. And the relaxing time with that little bit of drafting tableau building crunch, Meadow. Oh, my God. How beautiful of a game is Meadow? And if you've not played – did we re- did we review Meadow last year? I think we did. Yes, we I did. I could be wrong, we did. but I thought we did. But go listen to that episode. Meadow is a beautiful game. Meadow is fun. Meadow is an easy teach, full of crunchy decisions. It's got tableau building. It's got sort of weirdly worker placement. You've got card drafting with action selection. It's got all the beautiful things you love with artwork that's neat and fun. And, and it's got the, you know, the, the, the little iconography. They're like, Oh, I need a bug and a, and a, ma- and a mammal to get this cool hawk. Ah, oh, but, but, but I need a fence to get the hawk to get the map. Like just, uh, it's just so beautiful. Can't. Can't talk about it enough, but it has that strategic depth of, okay, I can't play a card because there's nothing out there that I actually want. All right, so then how can I still advance my, my gameplay? Oh, I can play over here in the campfire. All right, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take those actions first before someone else gets there. It's just such a good, it, it has like a lot of hidden take that in it where you don't know that you're actually in for it when it comes to that game. And it's not direct, it's indirect, but it's so good. And that's my number eight, Meadow. So we're only off by one there, which is good to see for that game, because it, it deserves to be. Yep, yep, I told five. you, I told you. I... <laughs> All right, yeah. uh, seven for me, another two-player game. All-time classic, love this game, Jaipur. Uh, I played a lot of Jaipur. Uh, my son and I played a bunch. I don't know why, but there's something about Jaipur that just makes it very approachable, very fun. Uh, the length of the game, I think, is a strength. A lot of two-player card games are kind of slow or – or sorry, not slow. Uh, a little too quick. They end too fast. This oh, this is fast. Just has that like good mix of not being too long, not being too short, full of good decisions, some luck involved. Just – I don't know. The design is so well done, and it's one of the all-time great two-player card games for me. I played tons of this, which is one of the reasons why it makes it to the top of the list. But it's also, I think, one of the best two-player card games out there. So that is uh, number seven, Jaipur. Again, another two-player card game. That if you don't own it and you're into card games, just go get this. You'll you'll never regret it. It's so good. Jaipur didn't make my list, but I agree with what you're saying. And 
uh, who, what did I, what did I talk about Jaipur with earlier about, uh, two player games? Targi. Yes, Targi. Right. Uh, before Targi was available, Jaipur was my go-to. If you've, if you, if you're a two player game or Jaipur, it's on that list. 100%. You're 100% right. I can't put it on my list because I can't enjoy playing it anymore because my wife just, <laughs> just utterly hands me my, my stuff every time. Uh, I don't know how she does it. I, I didn't think it had that much depth to it but it's there and now i it's uh it's it's the immovable object you know <laughs> that i can't get past time to get uh, good love jaipur it's a beautiful game get good get good <laughs> all right um number seven for me is kind of funny um and uh, uh you taught you owned uh one version you owned the original version of this game we played it one time with the four of us, uh, you, you know, uh, us and the wives. And I knew I would love this game if I ever played it, but I never bought it. I never backed it on Kickstarter. And playing it one time at your place, I was like, why don't I own this? And then why don't I own all of it? And I love 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 this game this is a deck builder called dale of merchants there's a so much content in this game that you can add and i just love it and i own i think i own everything for dale of merchants at this point i think you do because i love that random mix of of characters and of drafting uh you know the different uh, sort of asymmetric animals. It's got beautiful art. Um, it's got, uh, you know, deck building. It's got a unique way of scoring and ending the game where you're building columns, uh, in, in numerical order from one to two to three to, was it, what, end of seven, right? Or six? Yeah. Something like that. And again, takes that deck building sort of genre. It's got its typical, you know, some of the typical tropes that you know and love about deck building. But again, it, it adds something different and unique and special to that deck building genre. Uh, because the way you're playing the game is completely different than any other deck builder. Uh, and not to mention the artwork is beautiful and amazing. And it's anthropomorphic critters. <laughs> I was waiting for you to get there. Yeah. Uh, Dale Merchants is, is great. It is a very good card game in and of itself. Even if you took out the universe they've created and Lands of Galzir and all that stuff, it's just a really good card game. Um, this didn't make my top 50 because I feel like a lot of the other card games I picked were better. So you're clearly wrong. Um, but I just wanted to let you know that. <laughs> all right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Mo moving on to number six. Uh, you brought this one up. So there's another crossover. Uh, Knit of Lear. I freaking love Knit of Lear. I love bidding games. I love, you know, we talked about the theme being kind of a wash on this, but it's growing on me a little bit. I, I kind of like it. I kind of like the, the ugly ass dwarves that you bid on and the theme of, of taking out the, <laughs> the world dragon that's going to end the world. But Knit of Lear is awesome. It's so much fun every time you play it. The, again, another game with big moments 
when that plus five card goes out and you really want it to bump one of your coins and someone outbids you and you're like, you son of a bitch. It's just so good uh, in so many different ways. And I love playing it and it plays up to five. I love all the, the, the rounds and the different conditions that happen, the bonuses you get. There's everything about that game just hits on all cylinders for me. And I'm excited to try it with the new expansion that you mentioned earlier, Eidavall, which adds like all kinds of unique um, animals and gods. And I want to be the boar god. Yeah, it just looks <laughs> it looks awesome. So this is an all-time classic for me. And, and again, one of my favorite games I've ever played and certainly deserves its spot at number six. That's Nidavellir. And if you've never heard about Nidavellir, go back. To, I, I, I beg you, go back to our episode where we dive deep into the review of Nidavellir because that game is something special. And there are not a lot of games that do things that this game does. Um, and hopefully it, it's a fit for you and your group. All right. Number six for you, sir. Uh, number six. Um, <laughs> I almost feel bad talking about number six because number six has been on our tongues and coming out of our mouths like uh, Will Smith's wife most of 2022, <laughs> and that is War Chest. <laughs> oh, that is War yeah. Chest. Uh, this game is amazing. This game is beautiful. This game is simple. This is This is War Chess in a lot of ways. And if you love chess... If you love war, combine this together in a beautiful chest, it's war chest. We've been teaching this to other people, and no matter who we teach it to, after one play, they're like, oh my god, let's go again. Or, oh my god, I need to own this. Or, oh my god, this game's amazing. Like, war chest, and it's so... And it's so simple in its appearance, but the level of depth and strategic tactical nature of this game is second to none. And uh, I would imagine, Ryan, this is going to be that second crossover I thought we were going to No, this was 51 on point. my list. So I'll stop. <laughs> Shut the hell up. Are you kidding me? Of course I'm kidding you. War Chest was 51. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> all right. So, all right. I was just going to say, like, I almost took a 45-minute drive to punch you in the mouth. <laughs> I would have done the same. Number six, War Chest. <laughs> all right uh for the sake of time i'm going to move to number five and that's vagrant song uh i've talked about this ad nauseum i'm not going to continue to go down that path but of all the co-op games i've played in my entire time board gaming this is number one uh what a fantastic experience uh two-player it was so great the story's great Design's great. I'm looking forward to talking to Kyle, on, you know, next week to to talk more about the game. But if you're going to play a cooperative game and you like boss battlers, you can't beat it. It's so freaking good, and I love it so much. It will probably hold a spot. I'm probably not going to play it again after our group finishes it, and more more than likely sell my copy so someone else can experience it. But this may sit in the top fifty for a very long time, based off just how fond the experience was for me from a cooperative game standpoint. So weird made one hell of a co-op boss battler, probably one of the best that we'll ever see the light of day. And that is vagrant song. If you are a co-op player, this you owe it to yourself to check this out now that it's more widely available. So that's number or yeah. number five. Sorry. Absolutely. So my number five is my highest two player game. 
on this list. And it was a game that I didn't know about and walked into uh, my friend the local game store. And they were like, well, we just got this in. It's got a little bit of Dominion, but then it does a little something different. And the owner of the store, uh, and this is local to Allentown, uh, Pennsylvania, where we're from. Uh, this was uh, when Cloud City was just a little rinky-dink store, not in the uh, the big Lehigh Valley Mall. And uh, we he went through a couple turns, and I was like... Yeah, I can see where Dominion was the influence, but oh my god, it tweaked the concepts of the game. And I spent $15 on the original base set of this game. Uh, I taught my wife, I taught two of my friends, and we have not stopped. They were just picked it up right away. And my other friends, they're, they're not, they're not big gamers. But they loved it after the first play. And we played again and again and again and again. And then this company blew up because of this game. And now has branched out into so many different realms of card games. And my number five from White Wizard Games, or Wise Wise Wizard, I think is their new name. And that's Star Realms. And I did a little bit of a slash here. Uh, because a hero realms is sort of the medieval or fantasy version of the star realms base system. And, um, I, I've owned a lot of star realms product. You just sort of throw it in and see what sticks and, and, and it's fun. It's unique. Um, and then last year they did a sort of a legacy version of star realms. And I, sort of fell victim to that. And I hope it brings Star Realms back for me. Even though it's number five. I love the game. I love the game. I love the concepts. I love what it did uh, to improve upon the deck-building world. And uh, Dominion is the the grandfather or godfather. Star Realms is sort of the hand of the king (laughs) or the right hand of that um, when it comes to two-player and when it comes to two-player deck-builders. And that's Star Realms. Guilty Admission, never played it. So add that to the list as well. <sighs> add that you to the list. You son of a bitch. I know. <laughs> number, kidding, number four, uh, you brought this up, another crossover. So we've already exceeded. That's Res Arcana. Uh, my favorite engine builder of all time at this point ah. in time. Tom Lehman makes one hell of a good engine builder game. Art's fantastic. Gameplay's fantastic. It's one of again one of those engine builder games that I show to people, and when it clicks, you see that light bulb go on, like you mentioned, and you're just like, "Yeah, there it is." Now you're hooked. Now you want to play more. Now I got you. <laughs> yeah. And we just keep playing it, and it's just such a fun game. Um, expansions added a lot, as you mentioned. It's brilliant. It's the best engine builder, in my opinion, that there is because it's just so simplistic. You only have eight cards, and you got to make it work, and you need to find a way. And I've seen people do it with almost no combos, evident, and I've seen people lose with some of the best decks I've or, or you know hands of cards I've ever seen. So, incredibly well balanced, incredibly well done. My favorite engine builder of all time. That's number four, Res Arcana from Sandcastle Games. My number four should come as no surprise. To you, Ryan, or to anyone who's listened to our podcast uh, from last year into this year, 
this is my highest Phil Walker Harding game. It is a deck builder with a race theme or a race sort of uh, end game condition. And that is the beautifully produced. Fingers crossed. I need more expansions. Summer camp. <laughs> I freaking love this game. I freaking love it. I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop wanting to play it and mixing up the different badges and the different synergies of those cards and, and how you build a deck with what you get with, with also, you know, as we, when we interviewed Phil, he's like, ah, I try to not put all the typical deck building tropes in there. Right. Or I try to change some mechanisms, which, which you have to respect as a designer that he could have easily done some of those things. And he chose not to on purpose. But I think that's because there's a rate. It's not a, the game is not about, well, it, it's a deck builder, but it's not about deck building. It's about freaking winning a race and collecting your badges. And I love that about this game. And it took me a little bit to get there and figure it out because, you know, we're used to certain deck builders. We're used to Dominion. We're used to Star Rooms. We're used to Daler Merchants where you, 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 you know, you build certain cards because you know you need those. But in summer camp, those sort of typical sort of air quote build orders or, 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 or action orders don't really matter. And that's what I love about it. Um, plus it's so whimsy and fun and such a unique theme that doesn't exist in any other board games. And, and that's summer camp by Phil Walker Harding and Buffalo games. I was waiting for this one. I knew it was on your list somewhere. I figured it was in the top five. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's like that man has a knack and you are his primary audience for that. So I'm not surprised. It's a good game. <laughs> Doesn't hit it for me, um, but I see everything you say in it uh, is, is definitely true. And, you know, I'm not surprised that's up that high for you. Uh, all right. We're down to the final three. Drum roll is starting off with number three for me. This is another small box card game, one I've played more than any other card game I own except for one. Uh, actually, no, I have played this more than any other card game I own, and that is just a simple game called The Game. It's a two to four mm. player cooperative card game where you uh, play, there's, there's four piles, two that go upwards from the number one and two that go downwards from the number 100, and you have to play cards on those piles in that order. I have played so much of this with so many different people, but mostly with just my wife. This is our go-to game. When we sit down to play something, or we've got a little time to play a game, we don't feel like <laughs> watching TV or movie or doing whatever else we're going to do. It's the game and that hits the table and we have so much fun. I've had so many playthroughs of this where it's been, it looks like it's going to be impossible to win and we turn it around. Um, there's other games where it looks like we're kicking ass at the beginning and we still end up the game with 20 cards left in the deck. I don't know what it is about this game, but it's something that works so well for the two of us. Um, it's simple to play. It's fairly quick. It's challenging. It's different every time. And it's cooperative, but not in a way that you're allowed to talk to each other. So there's that kind of aspect. Maybe that's, maybe that's it. We just hate talking to each other. I don't know. No, I, I'm just joking. Or am I? No, uh, <laughs> it's, it's such a good game. One of the best two player card games I've ever played and also great at four. It is the game. And I think this will be a forever game on my list because we just play it so much. So that's number three. So I've never played the game, 
but I played something called The Mind. Yes, that's the sister which is product. Similar or or adjacent. It's really not the same at all. Um, so I it's it's interesting. But yeah, so but but I can see what you're saying and understand what you're saying when it comes to the game. Because what you were describing, I've always felt when we played the mind, whether it was two players playing the mind, four players playing the mind, uh, I let some people borrow the mind that I got texts later like, oh my God, what did you do to us? We can't go to bed because we, you know, didn't get to this level. Like, uh, you know, those types of games in their simplicity and in their beauty can be some of the most addicting uh, sort of games on the planet. Yep. And that's why I think they're, they're special and unique. And I understand that yep, this falls in that category. All right. What do you got for number three? So my number three is the highest engine slash combo builder of my top 50. And, uh, this is a game that I loved the artwork of its predecessor. But for some reason, the mechanics and the gameplay didn't sing to me. But this new adjacent world that they created, where they brought in sort of the engine building, tableau building uh, aspects, with that same whimsy, cute, amazing, asymmetric sort of play styles, depending on what empire you pick. I have loved this game. My wife loves this game. And if we can find someone that wants to sit for the teach, the teach is a little bit. Uh, and this is my favorite engine builder, and that's Empires, or Imperial Settlers, Empires of the North. We have all the factions for this. Um, we've played most of them between the two, the two of us, so we know how each one plays. Each one has a benefit or a perk, or that's where the asymmetry comes into play. But you're building your tableau in front of you that is going to generate this and do this and then do that and then do this. There's a little track where you place your... You know, you have these meeples that you can go out. So it's got a little worker placement. Um, then there's worker placement with, uh, a little bit of exploration in the sailing board where you can place your meeple out to do a sail or to do a voyage, which gets you another ability or gets you another power. But if someone trumps you or gets ahead of you with X, Y, or Z, they could steal your voyage and go and take, take something ahead of you. So it's got a little bit of take that. Um, and certain factions are a little bit more take that, but this is just such a, it just with cards and a couple, a couple boards, there is just so much game in this, in this little game. And we, we love it. And again, it takes everything that I love about games and, and just puts it into one package. And that's empires of the North or imperial settlers, empires of the North. Add that one to the list as well. Have not played that one. <laughs> you would love. This. I know I would. You will love this, dude. I know I would. You, will, you, you will love this. We need to. We need to like, do this. It's got get the, this it's, list together so, afterwards and find the stuff. You know that how you want to play. And play you. <laughs> so basically, you know how you love the wheel, the gnome wheel in Fall of yep, the Mountain yep. King. 
So that's a whole core aspect of the game is a wheel like that that you use oh. to manipulate and figure out what you're doing on your turn. Like, it is so good. It is so good. Yeah. That's getting added. You will love this game. I'm sure. You're going to love this game. Maybe that one comes instead on next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to choose. It's just too much to play and not enough time. Uh, uh, so many games. So many games. All right. Number two is War Chest. Um, in terms of abstract, <laughs> there it is. In, in terms of abstract strategy games, there is nothing better out there. We have played so much War Chest. We have so much fun playing it every time. We played it with multiple groups. We even turned on our main gaming group to it. Um, I've seen discussions on the interwebs and other places about just how great and underappreciated this game is. Doesn't look like much, but boy, is there a lot of games. This in there. game gets no love. It, it no love. It should get way more than it does. It is just absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't have anything else to say about it. The fact that it's number two on my list should speak volume, volumes. And if you haven't played War Chest, oh my god, you need yeah. to do it. And it was number six on yeah. mine. Uh, a game that deserves to be in the top ten, if not higher. I'm surprised you didn't have it higher, but I, I can see some of the other games you're rattling off here kind of for you rank higher for sure. So, but number two of all time at this point, yeah, in time, and it's not a, like. The fact that War Chest is number six for me and number two for you does not knock War no, Chest. It, it is just like it's got to be special to get on both our top types of games tens. that you gravitate to or I gravitate towards. But the fact that it's in under top ten, right? Or in the top ten of both, like speaks volumes for how good this game truly is. Yep, um, it is one of the and best. Again, if you listen to our podcast or you're you just you're doing yourself a disservice if you haven't gone and played it. Yep. If you've liked anything we've had to say for two years, <laughs> like go check. Run, it out. don't walk. God damn it! Listen to us. Listen to us. <laughs> uh, so that's my number two war chest from AEG. And here it is. My number two is the game that you ranked so <laughs> I was ungodly low that needed to be this high, and uh, that's Wingspan. There is something beautiful, and this is just straight base wingspan. Like, granted, you could add in Australia, you could add in European birds, you could add in the Asian birds, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't make it higher or lower. Wingspan at its core is a beautiful, well produced, well thought out, excellent design game. This does a lot of things that other games can't even come close to knowing how to do well. And it does it with a theme that no one even thought would be good or no one even thought would be enjoyable. And yet you just, you're playing birds and you're manipulating your, your, you know, your, your tableau in front of you to maximize your points, your eggs. It's got so many decisions on, uh, on every turn that I just, I, I, I just can't say enough, enough good things about how beautiful this game is and how well thought out this is. And from a balance standpoint that yes, there's a little uh, luck aspect, right? What are your opening birds? What do you get drawn? Who goes first and what birds flip up? Or do you randomly pull one bird? Like I get that, but if you are a good player, when it comes to the wingspan, you can mitigate the luck of other players better than they could even possibly hope and wish from a luck standpoint. 
And not to mention, this is a beautiful package. From, from the components to the art to the design, it's just so well done. This is chef's kiss when it comes to board games, in my opinion. And that's why number two is Wingspan for me. I agree with everything you said. I've just played so much of it that it dropped in my list. I don't think I have any arguments against anything you said. Wingspan is a... I don't know how playing a lot <laughs> drops it. That's the crazy part. That's the part I can't I get. Know. Like That's the part I don't understand. But I, It's less fun than it used to be because it's getting predictable. Now, granted, for, yeah. for you... All right, but fair. I don't have all the expansions fair. either, so maybe that would vary we should, a little bit. We should do two-player. We should do the new two-player uh, Asia. I think is or is Australia the two-player? I, I forget. Don't know. Whatever the latest one is, is a two-player only wingspan. We should do it. Oh, you're gonna get your face. <laughs> all right, I'm done. I'm game. After we play the other thirty-five things we talked about. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I know we talked. We are all right. Number one, buddy. Drum roll. Mountain. And the top of the mountain for me has a tree growing on it. The number one for me is Arboretum. Mm. Uh, I don't know of a game I'd rather play. <laughs> I love this game so much. Uh, four player, player counts are probably the optimal situation for me for games. We have a four player group. We can play this anytime we want. I've played this with a whole bunch of different groups and a bunch of those groups won't play it with me anymore. This is a mean ass game but also one of the most well-designed, tight-designed games I've ever seen in my life. Hand management, a uh, little bit of drafting. It's so beautiful. It is just, just so beautiful how it's done. Everything about this, from the design to the presentation, is so elegant and leaves no fat, no room for, for any extra mechanics or nonsense. Rules are clear-cut. The scoring is a little confusing, but once you figure it out, it's not so hard. Um, and it's mean, which I love. There is no better card game on planet Earth than Arboretum, and this will probably stay at number one for me for a long time until something else comes along that dethrones it. And I'll tell you, I probably won't find something. It's, this is the perfect game in my mind and uh, deserves to sit at that number one spot. So Arboretum is number one and will stay there for the foreseeable future. And that is a crossover as well. Every turn and every card. Yes, it is a crossover. Every turn, every card matters. That's the amazing part about that game. It's so agonizing. Now, granted, mine was a little higher in the list. Oh, my God. I love the angst. That angst is so juicy that that game makes you feel, once you know how to play, once you get that first one under your belt, once you get that first one under your belt, and you're just like, oh, I get it now, right? Our buddy always says, it's always better the second time, right? Like, Yes. (laughs) Because you, you know, you, re, you 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 get the rules, or you understand the scoring, like you get it. And and the th- but that second playthrough, thing- look out because those people that you just smashed that first game because they didn't know what they were doing, are going to come back. They're going to stab you in the back. They're going to leave you for dead in the alley, and it's going to be with a, a cherry blossom over your head. Like, yeah, that's just so beautiful. And the other thing about that game that just tends to blow me away is not only do you have like all the that uh, angst and agonizing decision-making throughout the course of the game. But most games, like you score at the end, this game has like a crescendo where you just like the anticipation of the scoring is so heavy and weighs over you the whole game. Did I count correctly? Did I count enough? It's so good. And all you need is one more tree point. Yes. And and when you 
I love don't it. get I it. Love You're that. so pissed when you do get it. It's so rewarding when you f somebody out of scoring. It's, it's uh, everything about that game is perfect. So easily my number one. That was an easy. I started my list with that game, and I didn't work my way up. It just stayed there. <laughs> there isn't anything I'd rather play. All right, let's hear yours. That I'm is. Excited. Do you know what it is? I don't. I honestly, based on what I you honestly heard, don't do you know. know what it is? No, I, I, I don't think I could pick. All right, so, <laughs> and this was odd oh, I know to what me it is. as I was going through this list. Like, it's Hansa Teutonica. Do you? <laughs> Not even close. Such a better game. Um, so this was a game that uh, sort of came out of nowhere a couple years ago. And uh, Ravensburger put it out. And I was like, hmm, this is kind of a unique concept. And you open the box with six different characters in it, and everyone was unique, and everyone was asymmetric. And everyone was their own puzzle or their own game to sort of figure out within the game. And then they continued to add to that by bringing you more asymmetric characters that you could play against the other characters that you already had. And then it jumped genres or themes, I guess we'll say. And they went into the Marvel universe and they gave you a core box of six guys or six characters to play. Again, completely unique, completely different. Changed a little bit of the game base. And then late last year, they jumped into another theme, added a little more, tweaked a little bit more mechanically. Uh, made an, another card type. And they went into the Star Wars universe. And this entire game system, and uh, uh, again, it all rolls up into this one. And that is villainous. Started with Disney, uh, went to Marvel, and now we're in Star Wars. I love, 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 love the villainous system and the villainous game. It like feels like how Dice Throne has all those unique characters and all those sort of asymmetric characters. Like, and again, the core mechanism is rolling dice, you know, and you have your deck of cards and you've got your unique tokens and stuff. Villainous does a very similar thing where you have a core uh, sort of board in front of you, but your end game condition is unique uh, against every other player at the table because they picked, you know, different characters or they picked, you know, um, you know, either someone that was easier or someone that was harder, but it's crazy. The, the weight of the different characters is so similar and, 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 and I don't necessarily know if one's harder or one's easier than the other, because I feel this is a true mastery of your ability as a game player. If you could take a, take a different character and still win consistently time over time, because this throws a different challenge at you every time. It throws a different, um, again, end game condition at you every time. And you're figuring out the puzzle of how this character works. Um, and, and the fact that they were able to branch it out into three worlds and still be so unique and still be so thematic and still be so asymmetric. It's just, it's so powerful and how they've done that. 
And that's why this system and this game, it's just so amazing to me. And that's uh, Villainous by Ravensburger. I would not have predicted that as your number one, but it doesn't surprise me knowing how much of a fan you are of that game and, and the other versions of it that I probably should have thought of it. It, it just didn't cross my mind. I didn't know what else you would have had up there. Well, because it's, 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 it, it's like unassuming, right, in a weird yeah. way. But yet there's so much game in those boxes. And there's – so, again, you buy one box that has six characters. That's technically six different games you get to play in that box. Yeah, there's so much asymmetry. And then you times that by – yeah, and then you times that by who is your opponent playing. So it's, what, six by five, right? So there's almost 30 different combinations times six that you could potentially play if that's how math works. If I remember <laughs> math right. Like, because you key would component. change how you play, right? What, math? Or just not knowing math? <laughs> Either. Um, um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, if someone picks this character. No, yeah, the, the variability is any of is the other five, high. right? Like, you could change how you play. And, and sometimes you have to focus on your opponent versus focusing on yourself to try to get your condition because they've pulled ahead yep. or they feel like they've pulled ahead. Um, and just thematically that they found ways of finding all of these unique characters that are so different from one another, right? I mean, we're talking about like, you know, the, the Queen of Hearts to Scar from The Lion King. Those two people could not be farther <laughs> opposite of what they were other than being bad guys, right? Yep. But their quests and how they end the game and win are so different. And there's just, I don't know, there's just so much depth in such a, just sort of a unassuming package. You know, I'm wondering how many people bought that and were like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> thinking like the Disney theme or the Marvel it theme them. was like, there's more game than they bargained for. There was for. a crunchy, crunchy strategic game yeah. within that. Every one of those boxes, yep. like dice thrown in a way, you know, and now granted dice sounds a little bit simpler, but yet it's got depth to it. This takes that concept to a whole new level. And that's at current. I love it. I mean, I just pre-ordered the latest Marvel one coming out, which is Dr. Octopus. And uh, I'm trying to think of the other two characters, but I'm just so excited to try it. And, and you know, these, um, how much thought goes into the thematic tie to those specific characters. I just, I love it. Well-deserved as a number one in your book. My number one villainous. Well, we did it, buddy. We got through <laughs> 50 games and it only took us two and yeah. a half hours to do the final. Only two and a half hours. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but you know what? We did it. Sorry, I we went did. on. I think the third, the third otter, otter chip didn't help me. That's but. <laughs> okay. It's a game fuel. Um, for my gabbiness. fuel. Well, I will say that I'm happy with the list and we will try to do this again next year. So we're going to keep our lists around and see how they change and we'll go from there. But, uh, I, I think yeah. it was a success, a success uh, and I enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to doing next year's and seeing what changes throughout 2023 as we get a whole bunch of new games into play. I'm looking at my shelf. I've got six or seven that we haven't touched yet that I'm hoping to get to the table this year. And I know you've got a collection as well. So. This list is almost certainly going to change. Oh, my God. And I plan on trying to get more euros for us to so try. So out of 50 year. games, <laughs> so out of 50 games, 
How many did you think we crossed over? Uh, nine. We crossed over 15 times in 15 well, games. That's good. How crazy is that? That's. I thought there'd be definitely a little more, which, yeah, there was a couple you said that I probably should have had, and maybe there were some that I had that you would have or should have had. But, I think we have similar you know, tastes and games, and I, I think we're also exposed to what each other has. Yeah. So that's kind of part of it, too, but, you know. Let's be honest. There's a lot of those 15 games deserve to be in a top 50 list. There's just some good stuff in there. No question. So, 100%. 100%. Regardless of if we own two copies or only you own one or only I own one. Like, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, it definitely needs to be on that list. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, thanks, everybody, for sticking around for two and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, we should probably call it. <laughs> uh, we'll be back hopefully yeah. next episode uh, speaking with Kyle Rowan from Weird. Uh, and if not, it'll be the following episode. But we're going to get back to business as usual moving forward, some reviews, some interviews, and lots of other discussions. So please stay tuned and stick with us. If you liked what you heard, you can check us out on the interwebs at playgamesloosefriends.com. You can reach us uh, via email at playgamesloosefriends at gmail.com. Check us out on Instagram at playgamesloosefriends or on Twitter at pglfshow. Uh, if you really enjoy the show, I mean really enjoy it, you can go on to Spotify, Apple, like rate, whatever you want. You could rate, review, and subscribe, you could rate, right? Subscribe and leave us a good <laughs> review. Uh, the more we get those, the more it helps get the show out to other folks. That's going to do it for tonight. Uh, for me and Ken, thank you for sticking with us to the top 50. We hope to bring us again next year. And until then, uh, play some games. So was this our longest episode oh, to easily, date? Easily. I, I, longest episode to date? I don't think yeah. we'll be reaching this threshold until the next annual <laughs> one, but that's okay. It's, uh, <laughs> the 90 minutes of you and I is about all anyone can stomach. At least that's what our wives tell us. Anyways, <sighs> thanks everybody for joining us. True. And we will be back in a couple weeks. Until then, have fun. Don't lose your friends. Later. <laughs>